Hello and welcome to Failure Peace Theater, your movie podcast for examinations, deep dives, if you will, into cinematic disasters. On the chopping block this week is Power Rangers, not the mid-90s Power Ranger, which was somehow extraordinarily successful, um, I like but it. the 2017 <laughs> reboot, I, I still have my VHS copy, it's in the closet behind me, because... Um, yeah, I've got a complicated relationship with the Power Rangers franchise. Uh, I would not call myself a fanboy. I was a bit too old for for Power Rangers mania, as it was school. known. Yeah, I was. I was. It was. It was a kids' show, man. For kids, I wasn't gonna watch that stuff. But then when the movie came out, I bought a copy of that because I worked at Walmart at the time and I got a discount. It was cheap anyway. I was like, I'll watch this. See how it is, and. I don't know, man. The White Ranger is just so cool. It's like, damn, that's cool. Um, and and yeah, so I, I kind of have come to Power Rangers late in life of being an, an appreciator of the Power Rangers phenomenon. Uh, and more importantly, the Super Sentai series from which it is called. Um, because those are actually pretty fun in the grand scheme of things. Uh, common writer, you know, all of these these sort of like masked Japanese superhero shows from the 70s and 80s. Um, they're all really fun. Tons of them are on YouTube now. Um, a couple of the the major producers of those shows have just been dumping them onto YouTube in, in huge volumes. And, um, and they're fun. Like a lot of them hold up really well. A couple of them have gotten remade. Um, but uh, but we're going to focus on on the 2017 reboot of Power Rangers, right? The attempt to reinvigorate the Power Rangers franchise by going back a little bit to the 90s because Power Rangers has never gone away. There is a fresh Power Rangers series out every year. Most of them are produced in Australia now. Uh, they star a rotating cast of marginally attractive teenagers. And they just keep going. Every once in a while, they'll drop in and one of the original Power Rangers or somebody from Power Rangers Turbo or VR Troopers or whatever they can get a hold of. But, it, you know, so Power Rangers is not gone anywhere. But that original series, the original five characters dropped in the, the first Americanized version of the, the Super Sentai series in the, the mid-90s is kind of the, the, the nostalgia sweet spot. And, you know, as we've discussed before, we are in nostalgia sweet spot territory when it comes to films. Uh, every movie is trying to get you to be like, Hey, hey, you remember this, right? Um, side note, we won't get into it much. Just saw Ghostbusters Afterlife um, and uh, enjoyed it way more than I expected to. I will say that. I think it's fine. The The little girl that they've got playing the main character in that film is adorable and fantastic. And if they hang the franchise on her, they'll probably be okay. Um but uh, you know, but there was there were a lot of member berries in Ghostbusters Afterlife. A lot of hey, you remember this? Remember proton packs? Hey, do yeah. you remember that uh, Nestle Crunch bar that Vankman gave to Spangler as a joke at the <laughs> towards the beginning of Ghostbusters One? You're gonna find a wrapper for that Crunch bar in somebody's jumpsuit pocket at some point. Um, lots of little things, and you can either view them as 
corporate mandated nostalgia hits designed to make men in their 40s and 50s, i.e. me, um, go, oh, or respectful, like callbacks. Right. And, and that line is becoming very blurred and Power Rangers has a bit of that, too, although less than I expected. Um, so uh, I know it's a little late for intros, but of course, I'm your, your amiable co-host, Tim, and joining me, of course, is. Catherine. And uh, and I forced this movie on you, and I'm I'm sorry that I did. Well, I, I, I watched the entirety of the first uh, run of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers yeah. in 1993 when it was first aired. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a I was a big fan of the show at the time. I'm like not a fan anymore. It's it's kind of like mm-hmm. uh, when we watched the Mortal Kombat movie. You know, I liked the first three Mortal Kombat games, and then my interest in the franchise just dropped away sharply. Right. It had um, a natural decline. Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I tried to watch a couple more of the Power Rangers series after that. I think you know, what was the next? I don't even remember what they were called. Uh, um, <laughs> there was there was Turbo. There was one in space. Yeah, um, I think I watched a little bit of Turbo. Yeah. I don't. Well, yeah, that was the, the car stuff one. Was stupid to me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. it just didn't uh, it didn't really work. Um, I mean, again, they were all just loosely based on these Super Sentai series, so the the Sentai series would have a kind of visual aesthetic established for that series, and then they would just kind of have to come up with some kind of plausible explanation for what they were doing. Um, and try to make it match as close as they could. And sometimes that worked and sometimes it really didn't. Um, generally moving them away from like being high school kids and that sort of really relatable sort of center of the Oreo, it generally was bad. Uh, there are some people who love those series and I, I get that. I think there was a, there was a pirate one later at some point. Uh, but those definitely didn't appeal to, to me either. Um, you know, it was just kind of, it seemed like stretching it well beyond the proportions wherein it could be successful at right. a certain point. So, you know, I I didn't stick with it or anything, but I do have really fond memories of those original Rangers, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not opposed to a movie like this, but it does have all of the things that I don't want to see in movies usually. <laughs> Right. You know, and I just get instantly suspicious where I'm like, eh, I'm not going to like this. <laughs> um, right. But it, it, it's not all bad. It, it really is. No, there's, there's some tools. things. There's some things that this movie does that I, I think are good simply because they defy the expectations for what a movie like this should be. Um, you know, it's it's obvious why this movie was created. Uh, Heim Saban, you know, of Saban Films, which is his main production arm now. We have actually done a Saban film on this podcast already. Do you remember which one it was? No. I know we did. The one Cosmic Sin. That's right. The we talked uh, Bruce about that. Willis was here for two and a half hours movie. Um, and it was a Saban production. Actually, a lot of those like Bruce Willis one-offs are Saban productions. Um, I, I don't know why. I, I'm guessing it's quick buck mentality, yeah. which Haim Saban has been very, very good at. Um, I mean, we can't the, ignore the, that that was kind buck. of the purpose of the Power Rangers. 
was yeah, to I mean, he, profit off of this pre-existing thing, you know, tailor it a little right. bit, spend as little money as possible and make it you know, good for American audiences. Exactly. Because the, the difficult stuff, the expensive stuff was done, right? Yeah. The fight scenes, the explosions, the crazy costumes, all of that was finished, right? Really, we just needed a couple of sets, some reasonably attractive teenagers, a couple of dumb storylines about, you know, Bulk oh, and Skull. Kid. Don't forget Bulk and Skull. <laughs> That's who, Bulk and Skull. Who are, yep. I, I am sad to say are missing from this movie. They they are omitted, yes. They, we do get a couple of a couple of people who show up, but Bulk and Skull do not. <sighs> um Yeah, I mean it, it's 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 an interesting it, it was an interesting franchise to sell. Um the there was a recent um you know shows that made us one of one of the no the toys that made us. Um, went into the production of the series quite a bit. And and basically, Saban had to do a lot of convincing for this thing even being remotely plausible or successful. Nobody got it, basically. Um, surprisingly, one of the few people who did get it was Stan Lee. Uh, Saban actually pitched this to him, and that is what opened up the door for the now very famous or, you know, 1970s Japanese Spider-Man series. Which is that, hilarious. That basically inspired all of these Super Sentai shows, right? The success of that Spider-Man show is is where all of these came from. But it, it came from, uh, you know, Haim Saban sort of being like, man, these shows are great. Like, they're really cool. Uh, and he's just showing it off to everybody. I, I'm probably mixing up the the lineage of that a bit, but... But ultimately, like he worked for a long time to try and get this off the ground and then finally got his chance when Fox was putting together a Saturday morning block and just needed content. Um, you know, they were a new network. They didn't have anything. Spawn showed up and said, hey, I can produce you 65 episodes of this for 150 bucks in a pocket in a box of donuts. And and they were like, cool, let's do it. man." <laughs> and that's where this franchise was born, you know. Uh, and, and so now we, we've come full circle and we get a big budget Marvel style because that's why this is being done. This is this is the Avengers, but for 90s nostalgia kids uh, and, and we get this this Power Rangers reboot. Um, so just to, to do the particulars, Rotten Tomatoes score on this is dead on 50 percent. Um, so it's right smack dab in the middle of the scale, which I think is pretty appropriate for this. Uh, this is a problematic movie. It has lots and lots of issues, but there is a little kernel of something to it that gives it some weight, gives it a little bit of something. Um, the the audience score is quite a bit higher at 65%. So people who have seen it generally rated it higher than the critics who did, which is completely unsurprising. Uh, I do not see a critic walking into this movie and being jazzed about what they see. Uh, yeah. uh, I mean, like I said, 50% of them did, but that means 50% of them did not. So this is a a weird one. Uh, Obviously, they've been trying to get another Power Rangers, you know, big budget something off the ground for a while and and got very little traction. Um, But, you know, things did come into it. Uh, Haim Saban, he, he sold Power Rangers to Disney uh, for a while. But then Disney kind of tried to do some things, didn't go anywhere, and they basically sold it back to him. Uh, I, I believe for less than he got paid for it, which is, I, I guess that's, is that business? Is that mm-hmm. how business works? 
They did. A I business. sold it for more, and then I bought it for less. We we've done a business now, um, and uh, so he has. You know, Power Rangers is back under his his you know sort of control. Disney may have a, a, a stake in it somewhere. I don't know, but um, so this movie, um, directed by Dean Israelite, this is his second film. The only other film that he had done is a found footage movie called Project Almanac. Did you ever see that one? I did. Um, I, I looked it up and I watched a little bit of it, you know, kind of in prep for this. And it's it's a decent one of those, right? It's a, it's a decent found footage movie. Uh, it's got a lot of attractive people in it. Um, the main thing in the reviews that people dished on this one for, uh, I saw so many people being like, oh, it looks like a CW show. And I was like, fair. I mean, I can't say it's not fair, but at the same time, you can basically say that about any movie with teenagers in it or, or people playing teenagers. And now. say what you will, but the CW seems to be making money hand over fist with their terrible shows. They so sure as hell are now. So perhaps we should not judge yeah. them too harshly. Yeah, I mean, at one time that was the joke, but now they're a force of their own. <laughs> I, 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 I remember Riverdale Mania. Now, granted, they drove it into the ground, but they had a couple of seasons there where they were top of the pops, baby. Um, so directed by Dean Israelites, um, he is, uh, I want to say he's, do you know who Jonathan Liebsman is? Uh, he's another South African director. He did those, te- those, the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies, oh. or at least one of them. Oh. I think he did the first one at least. Oh. Yeah. I don't want to go too far, but he did some other stuff. He did like battle for Los Angeles and he, he's okay. Um, but they're like loosely related, which is hilarious to me because they obviously are making movies kind of in the same sort of nostalgia bait time frame. It's a little weird. Um, so decently directed. There's a couple of cool things that this movie does directorially. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit budget restrained. Not a ton. This movie cost a decent amount of money. Um, but uh, the thing I wanted to point out is the screenplay. So. Uh, the screenplay was written by John, uh, I want to say Gatons, maybe Gattons. I'm not sure. Gattons, I guess, would probably be the rest. Um, and, and and this is the thing. So so this is a movie for me. Um, I, I we rented it, and 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 I was like, oh, this is gonna be just garbage in a can. But you know, it's it's a ostensibly a kids movie, so I rented it to watch with my children. Um, and. And I was like, oh, God, this is just going to be the worst, right? Power Rangers, are you kidding me? Brian Cranston is in this. What is happening? And I turned it on. I started watching this. And and I, I swear to you, there, this has only happened three times. Where about 25, 30 minutes in, I, I turn to my partner. You know, she, the kids are watching. She's kind of sitting across from me. I turn and we, we lock eyes because we're having basically the same thought at the same time. And I kind of mouth, is this good? And and then she nodded her head. She was like, yes. And I was like, what? How is this good? Like, I was so shocked to my core that this was not just complete excrement that I was like, oh, this is actually kind of okay. And this has only happened three times. It happened with... um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, with the the what I call the double preposition movie, uh, it happened with that because I bought it. Be like, oh, this is gonna be just fucking terrible. Like, how could it not be? Planet of the Apes always sucked. And I watched it. I was like, oh, actually, this is really good. 
And then it also happened with the Hugh Jackman post Wolverine vehicle, real steel. Um, and and uh, I just want to point out one thing. John Gattins also wrote real steel. <laughs> <laughs> he, he also wrote that movie. So two of the movies that I can point to and be like, wait, huh? Is this okay? He wrote. And then it also happened, not to this degree, but uh, watching Kong Skull Island. And Gattins also wrote that. <laughs> so something about this guy, he's taking properties that I just kind of slough off and go like, ah, oh, these are terrible. And then he crafts them as a screenwriter into, at the very least, sort of palpable popcorn action films. Right? Because that seems to be his wheelhouse. Because um, Real Steel is is great i kind of love real steel um again it's problematic there's some bad tonal shifts it takes a real hard turn at the end towards like sadness there are a couple of bad super obvious reshoots where you can tell they're trying to piece together the ending but it still is fine because one it's robots punching each other we've discussed this we we you know how i feel about this (laughs) how we feel about it really um but yeah so it's just a weird connection that this guy seems to be capable of writing these stories that on their surface level on the, when I look at them and say like, Oh, this is going to just suck total ass. And then he makes them into something that I can't really say that that's true. Um, so yay, John Gatons, I like you and I like the things you write. Please write more things. And, uh, he seems to be working on stuff. He's got a lot going on. Um, I think this is the last film he's done, but he's also an actor. Uh, the guy who wrote this, he, he acts quite frequently. Um, he was actually in his, his first role. And I, I vaguely remember this cause I, I actually enjoyed the witchboard movies when I was younger. I would, when I finally was able to rent stuff and then he was in, he was in like a, he was in witchboard two. Pumpkinhead 2, which I, I actually kind of like Pumpkinhead 2. I like both. I like most of the Pumpkinhead movies. Um, and uh, he was in Leprechaun 3. So he had like a three year spam where he was just in like these direct video horror movies. Um, so he's got like, yeah, all, all the sequels, none of the originals. Um, but he's been in all kinds of stuff and, and he's he's done some acting here recently. But um, for the most part, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of his writing stuff. So I just wanted to point that out and sort of call attention to the fact that this guy seems capable he's hitting a button and that button is somehow connected to my brain. And I'm going like, Hey, all right, cool. And I can't really explain why, but it's just an interesting thing. So power Rangers was budgeted pretty much right at a hundred million dollars, 105, which I don't think you can really see on screen in this movie. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this cost 105 million. Maybe there's some money laundering going on here. Again, Heim Saban's is, is a little shady sometimes. Um, but I, there are a lot of special effects. There are, um, and of course, you know, at some point there's going to be some some Zords running around, right? Some some big animal-like robots that transform into a giant, you know, humanoid creature. But it still doesn't seem like it um, based on on where this movie spends most of its time, which is with teenagers talking to each other. This 
this movie, and this was something it was maligned for as well. This is a movie that is focused shockingly on the development of its characters. For a, for being based on a show whose character development took place in the credit sequence where Zordon said, find me five teenagers with attitude. And that was kind of it. <laughs> Did you need to know anything else? Um, this movie is, is remarkably concerned about building these five people into a team by having them share their thoughts and feelings sort of breakfast club style. There were a lot of um, breakfast club callbacks. There's a lot of breakfast club in this movie. And that feels like a choice, like a very specific choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, not all of it works, but it, it didn't have to be here at all. You know, I mean, they could have just sort of slid directly into power ranger mode and, you know, sort of spent no time on that. So I, I guess we'll get into that a little bit more as, as we talk, but so, you know, obviously I've, I've got a weird soft spot for this. Um, where are you at, you know, in terms of power Rangers, um, how much power do these Rangers have in your eyes? This movie was okay. I wasn't, I mean, I, there were things about it that I liked. There were there was a lot of you know bids for nostalgia. There were things that um, that could certainly could have been done better, especially uh, some of the things from the show that were maybe done a little bit better. Surprisingly, I like I know something on the show being you know, done in a in a slightly better way um, seems crazy, but but yeah, it was it was an okay movie. I. I'm surprised at how much I liked the kids. I mean, they're not kids. They're they're all like 25. Right. <laughs> I mean, they don't, they don't cast 25 playing kids 16. Yeah. Um, cuz like a a real 16-year-old kid looks like those Stranger Things kids. You know, just yes. like a normal kid. These need to look like superhero teenagers, which is right. about 25. Um, mm-hmm. I really like that Decray Montgomery kid. Very impressed yeah. with him. I really do like him. Uh, and and the the highlight of the entire movie is Bill Hader, as he would be in anything that he's five. in. Yeah. Um, so I guess we get it at the cast, because the cast is, is another thing that surprised me. Absolutely. Because um, this movie opens straight up the first face you see, apart from like a weird alien uh, yellow ranger who dies, is Brian Cranston. Um. Who Walter at White. this point, yes, <laughs> our Walter Rangers. White, fresh off Godzilla, right? The original one where he also had like a surprisingly small role. Um, Brian Cranston is Zordon. Yeah. Like what? That actually works really, really well. Um, it's so good. Yeah. I, I mean, that seems like such a weird choice. And I think it's actually because Brian Cranston is a bigger actor than he's ever been. But mm-hmm. if you're if you think back to the Brian Cranston that was like the guy who was in Malcolm in the Middle, um, right? The speedwalker. It, it is guy. not. But like, if you think back to to that era of of Brian Cranston, it would make it's not that big of a leap to have him play Zordon if you if you think back to what he was like on the show. Um, 
just that kind of great booming voice and sort of, mm-hmm. you know, the the voice of reason. Um slightly different in this movie, but yeah, I thought that was that was cool, but not I didn't expect that. I saw him in the credits and I was like, uh eh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, just, it, yeah, it just doesn't doesn't register that that's going to happen. I think the <laughs> other thing that people forget about Brian Cranston is that Brian Cranston is a working actor. Oh yeah, like he like prior to Malcolm in the Middle, this was a dude who was surviving on like bit parts and soap operas. Like he was just hustling, right? You take the parts that you can take, and if they come with a decent paycheck, you take them, right? Very very Michael Caine approach, right? Why did you do Jaws 3D, Michael, or Jaws 4, whichever one of the terrible ones? He's like, well, I needed a swimming pool, right? Okay. Like, <laughs> and that's okay. That's I mean, it's a profession. It's a career. You do what you got to do. Um, but I, I read some articles where it said that he he had some fondness for that. His kids had fondness for Power Rangers. And when it came up, they were like, oh, you should definitely do that. That would be cool. Um, so it, it's exciting to see him here. But uh but really, it's the core cast of kids that we spend the most of the time with. So uh, we have the the aforementioned Doc Ray Montgomery, uh, who most people will probably recognize as Billy from the second and third season of Stranger Things. Where he um, spends a large portion of the show not wearing a shirt. If yes, very you're interested shirtless. in seeing that, which I right. am. <laughs> yeah, they, they really do a good job of... of building him as the mid 1980s douchebag. I mean, yeah. the, the trans Sam, it's oh, every piece, that you awful know. hair, uh, the warrant poster in his bedroom, you know, just, just everything. Um, yeah, it's, he's, he's really good in this. He plays Jason, um, the, the red Ranger. And most of the movie is kind of on his shoulders, especially in the first act, right? Cause he's kind of our entry point to all of this. And, and the sort of interesting choice they make with him, instead of him just being the sort of like popular jock, which is who Jason was in the show, um, this is a, a popular jock who has gotten himself into trouble, right? He has made some mistakes, um, seemingly with the intent of kind of wrecking his own future just to sort of prove his, I guess, is the stepfather wrong? Uh, or I guess it's really, I guess it's just his dad, but... So there's a, a sort of interesting thing there. Um, so he's he's got a surprising amount of, of dramatic weight that he has to carry in a movie called Power Rangers. Um, but, you know, he pulls it off because he's a solid actor. Um, then we have Naomi Scott, who has gone on to... I, I mean, she's now been in one of the most successful films of all time because she played Jasmine in the Aladdin live-action remake. Now, I don't um, care for her. Um, um, in this yeah. movie or in the Aladdin movie, which she's, I she's, didn't finish because it's so bad. <laughs> it's pretty rough, man. Uh, all of the the speed ratcheting that they had to do because they could not apparently keep the on screen action in time with the music. Which I, I'm hoping that they played the music on set, but I have a feeling that they were just kind of maybe they had a click track going or something. Uh yeah, there's there's problems with Aladdin. I'm I'm not a huge fan either. Saw so in the theater, it was fine. Uh I do like Will Smith's take on uh the genie's song. It's fun. Oh, and my they didn't, And they well they just they didn't try to make him be Robin Williams, which I appreciated. I just, they let him continue to be Will Smith. I just but, found it yeah. all deeply upsetting. <laughs> Um, all of those live action remakes are deeply upsetting. I feel uh, emotionally for me, scarred and, by all of them. 
Beauty and the Beast is the worst. It was stupid. That one just sucks so hard, man. Like that. And they're gonna do the Little Mermaid. They're gonna ruin that too. There's a very good chance. Um, When's that one like coming out? Of, uh, well, I think it got pushed back. Um, yeah, like I know Lin Manuel Miranda's writing a new song for it. I don't, I don't know how that's gonna go. I and mean, he's a very good songwriter, but it's, I mean, is he Howard Ashman? No, Probably not. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, Nobody. I'm is. not a. Yeah, <sighs> we'll see. Uh, so yeah, anyway, uh, so she's, she's an interesting choice for Kimberly. Uh, I think she was the character that was, was meant to sort of have the most screen time opposite of Jason initially, but her story kind of doesn't really go anywhere that interesting. It's, it's pretty obvious what's happened and it's mostly fairly standard, like high school drama stuff. Um, it's it's fine. Uh, you can certainly understand it, but and I I do man I we could really go down a rabbit hole and be like, well, in the original show, Kimberly was the effusive and upbeat, and she was always like really you know keeping the team together. And I don't want to do that because this is obviously not trying to just recreate what that show was. Um, but for her to be such a downer for like 90% of this movie, it kind of, it just kind of, it slows things down. Uh, now she kind of comes around at the end, obviously uh, they all do, but it just um, made, yeah, she but, was just not an interesting addition to any of the scenes that she was in. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. I, I think I mean, it wasn't terrible, it. but it just wasn't, it just, you know, didn't blow me away or anything. Exactly. Um, but for me, uh, we also have Becky G, uh, who is our, our incoming Yellow Ranger, um, who is unfortunately defined by her LGBTQ plus status in the which film. They're which not, is, they is don't of, even really have the balls to no. to say what it is either, and that bothers me. Whereas, like, don't yeah. try to make it a thing if you can't even say the word, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's... It's rough. Uh, we do get a couple of scenes with her, with her family that are kind of played for laughs because they just don't get her. They don't understand her. Um, and, and you know, it's it's fine. But it, pretty much this is not quite the the defined by past trauma trope with them, which I appreciate. But at the same time, it's it's really the, the sort of old screenwriting technique of everybody's got a thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Everybody's got this one thing that they're kind of dealing with. Um, then uh, we have Ludi Lin, who is playing he receives our no screen Black time. Ranger. <laughs> he is barely in this movie. He got he got cut so hard out of this thing. And it's sad. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing more from him because I liked him in the Mortal Kombat movie. That's right. He plays Liu Kang in Mortal Kombat, and he did a, a pretty solid job. Um, I do want to point out here that. Um, Ludi Lin is 34 years old. Yeah. <laughs> he was in his late 20s, possibly early 30s when he made this movie. And he is playing a teenager. Um, <laughs> which he, I mean, he was in his 30s because he is only one year younger than me. Uh, yes. So. He was born in, in 87. Yep. Um, oh. <laughs> and, and, uh, so Good I, I just, him. you know, Good for him, dude. Bathing and he in lo- baby's he- blood, 
Clearly. He can do wow. it. I don't know. Fucking vampire. But, but for me, the the hero of this movie and and the the beating heart that gives it something that elevates it is RJ Siler as Billy the Blue Ranger. Um he is the character that they changed the most by far and and really is is sort of whole cloth created for this film. Um I I I he well again he he has a thing his thing is that he is on the spectrum which gives him many things that are going on in his life. Um, and so Siler chooses to play him as sort of socially awkward, adorable. I mean, if we're, if we're being honest, I suppose. And I, I don't know, his character worked really well for me. And, and the whole thing, you know, we're not going to get into spoilers just yet, but the whole thing really hinges upon some things that happen with Billy at the end of this film like the this sort of emotional component of this team as they are growing together is is really all centered on Billy um as a character and most of that worked for me uh in this one Billy is is um he I, I guess the way they all meet I guess we can go ahead and say that again it's very breakfast club they all have Saturday morning detention right and so they all kind of meet through being you know, thrust together into that less than ideal environment. And initially it's Billy and Jason that become friends, quote unquote. Really, it's just Billy not letting Jason. They're get good away foils after. to each other. Exactly. The jock and the nerd. Right. And again, I mean, somebody watched Breakfast Club, somebody knew that script well and was able to incorporate the the concepts of that into this very different kind of film, but make it work. Um, so I think R.J. Seiler is is great in this. Uh, I know he is in the upcoming uh, Scream reboot, I think. No, he was in the TV series. That's right. Um, which the TV, the first two seasons of the Scream TV series that MTV did are actually really good. Um, in a sort of pulpy, oh, I get to watch these teenagers die in terrible ways you know, kind of way, but, but I actually enjoyed the first two seasons of that quite a bit. And then for some reason they, they um, like rebooted it for the third season. They just changed it for no reason. Like it's like new characters, new location, everything. And, and I stopped watching because I was like, well, I, I liked the other characters and I would have been okay with you continuing it. Um, but uh, he was a, a member of that third season. So I, not super familiar with him from that because I ditched, but uh, in any case, he, you know, he's done some stuff. But so uh, I, I like him in this. I think he's pretty good. <clears throat> and then rounding out the cast, really the other uh, people we have, we have uh, the the mean boyfriend from the first seasons of The Office, uh, Pam's boyfriend. Yep, Roy. He that's plays right, a Roy. dad, which is that's yeah. weird. Good dad energy out of that guy. A lot of beard, a lot of beard energy coming off. A lot of, of Roy energy. I mean, he kind of just playing Roy again. He's playing Roy, Roy, but older and angrier. Uh, smells a bit more of, of fish, probably. I mean, and, good, uh, you know, good for him. Yeah, for him. I mean, you know, not just being Roy. Because I mean, like I, I'm sorry. That's all I remember. That's all I'm ever going to remember you for. I mean, it's probably all he's ever going to be remembered for. And but, he was in a lot of um, movies. He's actually been in a lot of things. 
but I can't remember what any of them are. <laughs> I only remember the yep. office. Not going to remember. It's not happening. Uh, and then rounding out the cast, as you mentioned before, is Bill Hader, who is, is perfect. somehow <laughs> perfectly cast as Alpha 5. Precious. Um, wonderful. If, if you're not a Power Rangers person, Alpha 5 is this little uh, like, yeah, yeah. lightning-headed robot that runs around and assists Zordon because Zordon's just a head in the tube. Yeah. And uh, and so Bill Hader is is for all intents and purposes his uh, you know eyes and ears in the world because Zordon in this one Zordon is a wall, uh, he's not a, a floating head in a tube which was a very cheap effect in the nineties but um, so uh, he's great he gets he, most of the outright comedy in this comes from Hader you can tell that he was probably brought on maybe late in the game to write jokes and since Alpha Five like doesn't have a mouth you can just kind of do whatever you want over the scene and uh, and hater you know get some good stuff in there and as we mentioned brian cranston is zordon uh, a surprising choice but one that works pretty well and then the last piece of this puzzle is elizabeth banks positively chomping celluloid yeah has rita repulsa i have a, a lot to say about her <laughs> Because, I thought you might. <laughs> and it's it's a mixture of good and bad, but but mm-hmm. you know, I'm gonna save it for a little bit. But I uh she was having a blast. I've, ne- you could I've tell never she seen was somebody really have that herself. much fun. And what I like about it is that um the uh the original actress from um from Power Rangers, uh Machiko Soga, mm-hmm. she was having fun. Like yeah. so much fun. <laughs> um, I mean, this is the kind of villain character you dream about getting a chance to play. Like you know? Rita Repulsa is one of the best villains that was ever in children's TV because she was so over the top and just kind of that ultimate super villain persona. And the one that sadly is going away. I don't see this quite as often in movies where, you know, we always want to humanize the villain. Now we always right. want to Nuanced give them their villain. speech. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to, we want to Loki all of them, uh, cause look what we've done we for understand that character. Him. Um, yeah. he's a hero now. He's oh just a good God. guy. Oh God. Um, but anyway, Rita Repulsa though is like the villain that revels in being a villain that just loves every moment of being evil. And like, she literally gets up in, in, in the start of her day and says, how evil can I be today? And that's mm-hmm. fantastic. We don't ever get to see that in movies anymore. And that was, I like that they preserved that. Yes. The insanity. Um, <laughs> and, and again, she is just, enjoying herself immensely this was was that period uh, this may have barely been the start of it but elizabeth banks pretty much since pitch perfect has been you know ridiculously successful across its i I know the third one didn't do super well but you know that gave her such cachet um both as a director and a producer that i i think it opened things up where she started really just kind of taking roles that she thought would be interesting and fun um because she also did uh the charlie's angels sequel a little bit after this um or or i guess reboot for that as well which surprisingly as well i enjoyed that quite a bit i i liked the new charlie's angels i thought it was fairly well done i have i have absolutely zero attachment to the 70s charlie's angels i i watched it because you know 
what else was on. Dukes of ha- Dukes of Hazard didn't come on until later, so you know. See, actually, um, I have no experience with any of those television shows. Like, I am just slightly too young to have watched yeah, those because I had the choice yeah, they to were watch something else. Time. Like, well, by the time yeah. I came along, The Simpsons was already on, so I was like, why would I watch this stupid old people <laughs> show? Simpsons is watching great. this cool cartoon where somebody talks about butts. That's what I chose. That's awesome. And and that's that's totally fine. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't think it's essential viewing at this point. None of those shows, when you go back and spend any time with them at all, have much merit to them. Um, yeah. They're pretty fluffy uh, by design, right? I mean, this was not hard hitting premium television, right? This was <laughs> we're ch- we're churning out thirty five of these, yeah, and and we're just gonna run through this as fast as we possibly can, and that's that's okay. But uh, she also cast Naomi Scott in that Charlie's Angels movie as well. So apparently they, she enjoyed working with her. But uh, but yeah, so she's she's Rita Repulsa. Um, they they sort of goose the origin story for Rita Repulsa a little bit. Um, kind you know, of to, pointless, to, though. I, um, I don't think it was a necessary thing, but it, it was designed to kind of set up. Set up sequels. Sequels. That- that aren't going to happen. So, you know, you roll the dice, you see what takes place. You, you, you put your pieces in position just in case you get the chance to move them. And, you know, then when the chess master walks in and checkmates you in one move, it's, it's over. The chess master in this case is box office. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a surprising cast for a film like this. Um, say what you want about it, CW-ness. Again, if you're casting beautiful-looking 25-year-olds to be your teenagers, okay, fine. You can you can dig them on that. Uh, so the overall story is, is it's an origin story, right? This is the getting the team together story. Um, we're introduced to all of our characters in Act 1. We kind of learn where they're at and what they're going through. They're sort of forced together by... Uh, random event that uh, unites them to the the power rangers through uh the the power coins basically the things they wore on their belts in the show um and and then you know they sort of have to learn how to be a team that's really like most of what this movie is about is how can we be a team the the sort of theme here is that they can't unlock this power until they actually operate as a unit Right. One person sort of being out of step is enough to keep them from really being able to engage, which I think is a is a cool thing. Right. A lot of these types of adolescent power fantasies and and the original show was this way. It's I got the thing. So now I have the power, period. Right. I I found the sword. Right. He may have the power of gray skull is mine because I'm holding a thing. Right. Well, did you do anything for it? Do you understand how to use it? No, I just have the thing. <laughs> and 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 in this one, they get the thing and they get an idea that it has power. They start to change and, and stuff. But to actually sort of unlock the full potential, there's a team component. And, and that was kind of an interesting take on something like this. We really haven't seen anything like that in this type of fiction, uh, at least in, in, in film. You know, not even something like the Avengers really plays on that like they develop into a team by the end of that film but it's not like a theme of them learning how to work together yeah, it's just a thing they they don't have to they just kind of come to that conclusion based on the circumstances 
Um, it sort of happens more organically in that. But this one, it's in that it's a legitimate like thematic element of the storytelling. We have to do this for this to work. And, you know, it's, is you know, kind of an interesting addition, something that they wouldn't have had to do, but I think does give the, the middle section of this as they're trying to figure out what they're doing uh, a bit of weight and some drive, right? We've got a, a thing we're trying to accomplish here, uh, which was kind of cool. And uh, ultimately they have to stop Rita Repulsa from, uh, what is it? The, oh, it's from the show. I don't remember. It's like the power in the center of the planet, the Zeo crystal. The Zeo crystal. Yeah, which I know comes into plow. There was a whole series called Power Rangers Zeo later. I, I never saw that. It's all one, about but, crystals, know, it's, man. It's crystals, <laughs> dude. Crystals everywhere. And, and Angel Grove was built on crystals. Yeah. Crystal, you know, it's an old crystal burial ground. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, this is not complex story it's really not but they they goose it in some interesting ways which i think is kind of fun uh so any other initial thoughts on power rangers before we just kind of start breaking it down i don't think so all right um would you say at this point before we get into spoilers would you recommend this to people uh even if they don't necessarily have a connection to power rangers because i think if you have a connection to power rangers there's probably enough here to make it worthwhile um, but even if, if not, what do you think? Um, uh, I would recommend this movie if, if you are familiar with the original Power Rangers. I wouldn't recommend this movie if you are a fan of the Power Rangers, though. Like, I have, um, a friend mm, who is a huge fan, um, he has the logo tattooed on his body. Uh, he's such a mm. huge fan. I cannot that imagine the definition of huge. Fan. Yeah, like I cannot imagine that he enjoyed this movie. Mm-mm. I would love to know what he thought. I should ask him someday. Um, but if you're that kind of fan, like if you buy the comic books or you know you still keep up with the, the shows, this isn't for you. You're gonna hate it. <laughs> Um, but if you have fond memories of watching the show as a little kid, absolutely. Yeah. Check this out. It's funny. There are worse ways to spend your time. You could be watching Cosmic Sin. (laughs) This is true. Saban would appreciate either, honestly, at this point, just watch anything that I've produced. please. Um, I I will say that part of the issue with this is it does have some pretty wild tonal swings. Mm -hmm. Um, it is at times deadly serious. And then there are scenes where Rita Repulsa is enjoying a Krispy Kreme donut. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it, it wavers violently between tones uh, in, a, in not a completely displeasing way. Uh, I, I, I kind of found it goofy. And, and in some ways, I imagine it was part of a mandate or at least somebody at the studio saying like, all right, we kind of need kids to be able to watch this, guys. Like little kids, like because when these when these you know poor, sad forty two year olds drag their children to see this, there's got to be something in here for them, and this is kind of scary at times. Like this movie's got a couple of moments, um, and so yeah, I think there was some some mandate there that we need to be goofy, and I had a simple solution, which is this couple of characters, could just bring them back. 
Have him be around. I kind of wonder by the name Balkan Skull. <laughs> I kind of wondered if the bully at summer school wasn't supposed to be one of them, and I then even they just never named his them. Name and yeah. and it was it was not it was not Skullovich okay. or Bulkfire. <laughs> I was very sad about it's that. Skullovich. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid uh, but wonderful right that's wonderful <laughs> that's how you make a children's television show um so yeah i i i, I think you could th- there were points where you could have injected more humor and and fun into this if you needed to a uh, hater certainly compensates a bit but for the most part this is a fairly serious story um so uh, I guess we're going to get into spoilers now. If you uh, want to watch Power Rangers, unfortunately, it is not streaming anywhere as of right now uh, and may not be at any time Ever in the foreseeable again. future. Uh, it was on Hulu for forever. Uh, and then I guess it got, you know, got taken off. And I, I don't think anybody's fighting over the streaming rights, right? It's not like stars and Netflix are duking it out for who can put Power Rangers 2017 on. But um, I can guarantee you when the new Power Rangers reboot comes out, you will find this streaming everywhere. Oh, for sure. Yes. Yeah. When they when they do this again, um, they will absolutely sort of trot this one out and be like, hey, see what we tried to do? And then Didn't people work. will demand a new director's cut that is six and a half <laughs> right. hours long. Release the Israelite cut. It um, has the yeah. has the unedited hater takes <laughs> like nine extra minutes of right. Alpha Five. <laughs> extra ten minutes of hater is Alpha Five. Um, yeah. So uh, this is a recommend from me. Again, this was one of those movies that surprised me. I was not expecting anything of note, and then actually found some a really interesting heart to the film that elevated what could have been nothing but 90s nostalgia bait into something that does kind of stand on its own. So um, I definitely recommend, you know, giving it a watch. So uh, let's get into spoilers. Uh, This movie opens title card, the Cenozoic era, right? So, so it's already dumb. This is silly. (laughs) Um, Because this movie attempts to explain how Zordon and Alpha 5 arrived on Earth. And that's uh, which, stupid. You should never explain things with Power Rangers because yeah, you're going to start losing people fast. It's not a good idea, but they try. Uh, so, and, and the scene itself is is pretty cool, right? We, we sort of open on the reflection of a Power Ranger helmet. It pulls back and we see that, you know, some kind of battle has taken place. Dinosaurs, you know, pterodactyls are flying around or whatever. And uh, the Power Rangers have been betrayed by one of their own, by the Green Ranger, Rita Repulsa. And she has decided that using her magical staff, she is going to collect all of the power coins and break the Zeo crystal or something and, um, and rule the universe. That's all. I mean, she's going to rule the universe. How she wants to take over. The thing is, every week, Rita Repulsa is upset about something and she wants to kill the Power Rangers and take over. That's right. That's a very simple set of goals. (laughs) Um, So we we see the Yellow Ranger die and offer her power corn, uh, power corn, yes, the power corn, (laughs) uh, offer her power coin back to Zordon. He takes it. because he's the, basically this movie posits that Zordon was the original Red Ranger, or at least of this set of Rangers. Mm. 
and um, he sacrifices himself. He takes his own crystal out, um, his own power coin, whatever, and fuses them all together, sinks them into the earth, and then the explosion of the ship, something? Like, there's some kind of explosion. I don't remember what it is. It doesn't matter. Something explodes. Um, something explodes. It hurts Rita Repulse. It blows her armor off. Uh, Zordon dies. All of the other rangers are presumably dead. And uh, the Zeo crystal is sort of sunk back into the earth. And, and, and that's kind of our opening. So we, we get that. I almost, and I don't say this very often because I, I like movies that just sort of like tell their story, right? You know, <laughs> that one episode of Rick and Morty, I think the story should begin where they begin and end where they end, right? I don't, you don't have to use flashbacks all the time. But this is one of those things that I would have rather seen this as a flashback later in the film. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think we needed to see this as an opening. It's it's more context. I think this scene would have been better suited as, you know, the kids are all sitting around after a training session or something, and they're like, so where, how did all this get here, Alpha 5, right? And then Alpha 5's like, oh, well, back, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, we see the flashback with some fun Bill Hader narration over it or something. Um, because, honestly, the introduction of Rita Repulsa as the main villain I think sort of spoils her return. I think it would have been much more interesting to see this sort of decrepit creature rise out of the ocean and then resume being the green Ranger rather than having that sort of laid out for us initially. Um, it, I agree. That, that to me is the, one of the bigger gaffes in the screenplay and there are several, but that for me is the biggest one. It's just, I, I think it would have been much stronger to open on you know, Jason's mistake, right? Just open there. Um, Cause that's really where we go next. And there's a nice transition. I, I will say this, that Israelite really thought out his transitions um, when he's switching between scenes in a lot of cases, a lot of good match cuts. There's some cool lighting stuff that he does. Um, you know, there's, there's some nice work being done here. And, and for somebody who had really only done a found footage movie before this, I would say it's, it's indication of his skill um, or potential skill. But we open on, I, I don't know, a Varsity Blues cutscene um, <laughs> where Jason has decided to steal the mascot of their rival football team and put it in their locker room. So put a, basically put a cow in their locker room and make a mess. Right. Stupid high school prank gets out of hand. Cow gets loose. Cops show up. Uh, there is a, a, a cow chase. milking, there's, there's, there's a chase, bulges a chase is jokes, which I there's didn't see that joke. coming. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I really, I, mean, I just, that was a lot for the first scene with our heroes. Yes. I felt like that um, was some weird, like very, very mature humor for a Power Rangers movie. A Power I Rangers didn't thing. see that coming at all. <clears throat> well, so what you don't know is in season two of Power Rangers, Bulk and Skull, <laughs> They get Mrs. O'Leary's cow, and by God, they're just gonna ruin Jason's it was actually day by banned having that from television. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And then what they didn't realize is Skull didn't realize that you know boy cows don't only have one udder, and you don't have to pull it that hard. That is just um, it's it's a weird choice, and it doesn't really play that well. And it's a character that we literally never see again. Yeah, like it's one of Jason's friends that just disappears from the film. Um, so it's, it's a throwaway line. It's a throwaway character. There's really no reason for it to be there. All it does is provide a giggle, perhaps a, uh, perhaps a, a throaty chortle, 
on your way to a, a pretty nicely executed chase scene. Um, because to escape, Jason gets into his sort of, you know, shitbox 97 Dodge Dakota. And and then we get it's basically a one shot. It's yeah, really, uh, really nice. We're we're in the cab with him. It's a little bit children of men, right? Like it's on a swivel inside the cab of his truck. Yeah. He's driving through the streets. He decides to drive without his lights on so the cops can't see him. The camera's kind of whirling around and and then he, you know, gets into the the inevitable accident. I don't know um, what purpose this scene being so well done serves in this movie, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> well, it it serves the purpose of inflating the budget to $105 million <laughs> is what it does. Because, you know, lots of people have filmed car crashes and car crash sequences. And you don't have to work that hard to get that job done if that's your mm -hmm. only goal. But it, it is visually flashy. It's, it's a decently done, um, you know, one of those. Again, it, it feels like somebody saying... Hey, I, I really saw, you know, I, I saw Alfred uh, uh, or Alphonse Caron's Children of Men. I, uh, there was a cool car scene in that. Let's, can we do that? And then somebody's like, well, I guess, sure. And, and it works uh, pretty well. Uh, so then we get title card Power Rangers in like a weird thin font. I don't know why don't, they're I don't so. I understand that. Uh, just lean into your logo, man. It's edgy. all over your posters. Like, it's all over your posters. It's all over everything else. Just. The Power Rangers logo at this point, like it or not, is iconic. That's that dumb font, the weird curvature of it, the lightning bolt in the middle. It's the Power Rangers logo, and it's fine. Just be okay with it. Um, and, and then we we see Jason's current predicament, right? It's three weeks later. He has a, a home arrest boot on. He can basically only go to school or he can go home. He's been injured and will now miss his senior year of, of football season. So his life is over, according to his father. Um, hi, I'm an American father, and your inability to play football means you're worthless to me. Um, you know, that kind of typical bullshit. Um, but again, the film is taking a bit of time here. It's actually trying to develop Jason as a character. He seems like he's got some regrets. He's got some inner life. He's not just, you know, ho, 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 I punch, you know, and I, I like that. Um, then uh, we're quickly introduced to Kimberly, who is also there. And, and then, you know, sort of the, the. I cannot imagine a universe in which this would be the actual detention room in a school. This is this is a movie detention room like yeah. this doesn't even look like There's an American school. school. It's a movie school. Um, and I mean, this is a movie, I get it, but it's just, it's always shocking to me when, when films are like, oh, this, we've just got this guy here who's an asshole and he's just going to be one of those for literally no reason. And I, I get it. It's detention. If there's going to be an asshole in the room, that's probably where he's going to be. But the the asshole in this particular scene goes up to Billy, who you, he's like arranging his pencils on his desk, right? Like, I guess there is no greater visual representation of a person on the spectrum or a person who suffers from OCD than arranging pencils on a desk. But by God, that's what we get. Um, did you see Predators? Or no, just 
Predator or The Predator, the the Shane Black one that came out a few years ago. Did you ever watch that? Um, what was it? Uh, The Predator, the the not. Shane Black Predator reboot with um there the there's a, a tiny tremblay in that one. Not as tiny as Doctor Sleep, but you know the, the tiniest of tremblays, and and he is uh, autistic in that. And Shane Black just works so hard to put so many, th- like he's, there's a scene in that movie where Jason Tremblay or whatever that kid's name is. I don't know. Um, he, there's like a school, there's like an earthquake or something. Cause it's like the predator ship crashing and it causes an earthquake. I, I have vague memories of this cause it's terrible. And he's in a room where it's like the chess club and all the kids are playing chess. And all the chess pieces get knocked over and then he picks them all up and puts them all back in the positions that they were in when they fell over. Mm. And that's how Shane black communicates that he's autistic. Right. Which, you know, okay, sure. But I'm always interested in how people try to represent these, these very real things in films And, and you know, Billy's is subtle, but again, the, the asshole guy is just going to go over and bust up his pencils because he's an asshole. Uh, but that gives Jason the opportunity to defend Billy, which Billy takes you know, very personally, um, as one might expect. And, and, and so now we're just full on in you know, character introduction mode. And the big thing we get with Kimberly is she's confronted in the bathroom by some of her former cheerleading friends. And they sort of insult her and then they have this sort of like symbolic, don't they like cut up a picture of her or cut her out of a picture? I don't remember. They, they um, cut, it's like they cut it in half and it cut her out of it. Something. And then she takes these just like classroom scissors and cuts off all of her hair. Uh, well, not all of it, but a good portion of it. And it's, it's it's a, a hair salon quality cut <laughs> based on these like, dull paper scissors that she <laughs> finds in the bathroom, uh, which I, I just, you know, again, it's a movie. You can't get hung up on stuff like this. But in this one, it was especially egregious because she walks out. And it would be fine if like the ends were frayed and like it was uneven in spots. But she comes it's out and it, it immediately literally perfect. immediately. Yeah, salon it's, perfect. it's salon perfect. Right. Like, did you. Well, she had a curling iron in Vidal her Sassoon in there, <laughs> right? Like it's all curled in and everything. Like it's styled. Like no, it doesn't work. Um, but then the film now is it becomes very concerned about building the relationship between Billy and Jason. So I, I, I have no problem saying that Billy is the emotional center of this film. Like he becomes kind of the heart of the team, and I think that that was he's an, an important choice. I mean, yeah, you know. I mean he he represents all those feelings. Yeah, somebody for us to root for. Yeah, because I can't say that I I'm sympathetic to too much about the other characters. No, I, I mean like Jason's them, but not I'm super most sympathetic. sympathetic with Billy. Yes, like Kimberly and Jason. It's revealed very shortly, well, actually kind of later in the movie, like you get a hint of what's going on. Basically, uh, Kimberly, because she was in like a a fight, basically nudes got released of this other girl and she was responsible for it. Um, And it kind of ruined this girl's life. And 
you know, they, people are very mad at her. Everyone's very mad at her. And, and so she has made this sort of error in judgment that has now cost her much like Jason's made a bad error in judgment. And, and now he has cost himself something significant. She's kind of in the same boat. So they are sympathetic. Well, they're, they're characters you're interested in and they, they're sort of building an affinity with you between the, you know, you and the audience, but you're, they're not sympathetic at this point. Like they're not necessarily good people. Um, they're not those kind of rose gold characters. You're just going to be like, I like you. I like everything about you. Um, Jason's kind of a jerk. He, he's kind of an ass and, and Kimberly isn't much better. So Billy is immediately set as our, like, this is the guy that I can get behind. Um, and, and really Jason and Billy are now thrown together. Billy needs Jason's, uh, vehicular transportation, uh, his ability to drive at least. And Jason wants to be out of his house <laughs> without having to, you know, be pursued by the police. And so Billy, again, establishing that he is, you know, exceptional, has a, a method to do that and, and to disable the tracker so that they can go on a, a little adventure. And, and this is really where the, I guess, the plot kicks in. Um, we are told that Angel Grove exists on top of a gold mine. Very convenient. Uh, an active gold mine, right? Not like a, oh, we've been, we were pining for gold or you know, pattern for gold in, in, in the, the 1840s, you know, like not that, like no, an active working functional gold mine, uh, is in angel grove, which becomes very important later, obviously. And, and Billy and his father before his father passed away, used to go there and, and do their own little excavations, right. To kind of find things. And, and he wants to, to run one of these experiments and, and blow up a section of this gold mine uh, to try and, and, you know, find something. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a loosely plausible idea. Um, it's pretty obvious that they're not supposed to be there. And it's a little bit in conflict because Billy seems very much like a rule follower. Right. Like he's the guy that's trying to follow the rules. But if he doesn't, it's because he just kind of doesn't understand exactly why that rule exists or how it applies to him. Because <laughs> we, we find out that the reason he was in detention was because he had a basically a bomb in his locker that he set off um, a time bomb. And he didn't think anything of it. Right. It's like, no, no big deal. Um, so, again, a little bit of histrionics going on to try and get these characters into a position to discover this power, right? Again, the original series is very good about keeping this real simple. Alpha five, find me five teenagers with attitude <laughs> done in this one. That ain't happening, right? Alpha five isn't finding any teenagers, especially teenagers with attitude. So how do we get them to the power? so they can be rangers, right? And this is their mechanism for that. Um, ultimately, all five of these teenagers will find themselves out at this gold mine when Billy makes his, his little excavating moment and they discover, lo and behold, the power crystals embedded in some crystalline volcanic rock from the ancient past, right? So Something wherever that Zor someone should have already found by now. 
Exactly. Yes. Uh, highly unlikely that, you know, teenagers with some, some old blasting equipment would be able to find, whereas a giant functioning people are here every day, mining gold mine would probably have found. Um, but it were, so ultimately what we discover is that this is where Zordon and the other Rangers expired. And this is where he planted, uh, the crystals into the earth, um, to, to keep them safe. Um, so each of them, you know, takes a little crystal for themselves and they begin to, to change, right? Uh, there's another chase scene, uh, our second kind of action scene of the film. Um, one thing I will say about Gaten's script writing technique is that he is old school screenwriting 101 to a fault, right? Uh, again, you know, the old screenwriting rule is you need an action scene every 10 pages, keep your audience's interest. We have an action scene at the beginning. We have another action scene at 20 minutes, right? So like it's, it's sticking to the basics. And, and in many ways, I think that's a good thing. It, it helps the film that it's not experimental in that way. Because right. um, Power Rangers is a weird enough concept that I think anything else experimental about is probably just going to hurt you. Um, but so there's a chase scene inside of a minivan, which is kind of fun. They're trying to get away from the, the mine security because they've obviously, you know, they're trespassing. They've stolen now, you know, all these different things. Um, but they, they all come back together inside this van to escape. And then the van crashes badly, right? They get hit by a train. Isn't that yeah, what it is? Yeah. yeah. They just get like lambasted by a train and they don't die. They all wake back up in their bedrooms. Totally fine. Uh, and ripped. <laughs> it is a very Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man. Yeah, totally. Just, just Spider-Man, Sam Raimi. Um, but because the characters in this film need to have things to do, uh, we go out on the boat with, uh, Jason's dad and they have discovered in their most recent fish hall, uh, a woman's dead body or a seemingly dead body. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's reader repulsive. It, this is, there's no surprises here, right? There's, yeah, we the already saw. Try <laughs> Again, I, I think this scene would be much more effective if you didn't know what the fuck this was. Like, a lot more effective. If it was just like, hey, we found this weird dead body, what is this? Right? But we know what it is now, right? Because we were shown at the beginning that she fell into the ocean and all of her armor fell off. Um, so again, in terms of like making this a really simple to understand kids movie, I, I get the choice. But 80% of this movie is not that. So why not just lean into it, especially for this reveal? So it's Rita Repulsa. We know it's Rita Repulsa. Uh, they bring it back to shore. They call the cops. The cops say, yeah, we don't, we don't know what that is, but uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> we'll come check it out. And, you know, then we get our, our Spider-Man moment as Billy realizes that he has the superpowers now. Um, and, uh, you know, he like breaks the sink because he's so powerful and, and all this different stuff. He tries to put the coin somewhere else and it follows him, which, you know, all right, that's fine. Whatever. But once again, it's Billy with his. His heart that, you know, he's like ripping doors off things in his basement and he doesn't know what to do. It's 
it's it's sort of that Spider-Man scene, but distributed across all of these different characters. You know, they all kind of have their their moments. Um, you know, and and we're a good. You know, we're a half hour into the movie at that point. I guess you know we're we're well through Act One, and we've spent a surprising amount of time on character development. Like that's that's the thing that shocked me the most. Not that the character development has been all that effective or all that excellent. There but again, in a movie fights, there haven't been any right. loud fighting scenes. Right. We, we haven't had any like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to show a cave with all the Zords in it. And they're going to fire up because they found the power, you know, like there's just, there's none of that here. It's, it's really got a kind of relentless focus on the characters. Which is, I mean, it's kind of fun because it's it's almost following the trajectory of an episode of the show where you had a lot of things that involved just those actors wandering around their school, getting into mm-hmm. fights with Hulk and Skull because they only had so much of the cool stuff that they saved for the big battle sequences at the end. You, know, you saw one big fight scene where the Power Rangers were arts then you would see them in their individual zords then you would have the megazord scene at the end so yes it kind of feels like the movie is almost doing you know the episode structure from the show right because this show as as you said i mean there'd be a couple of small fights with the putties or whatever as the threat was revealed they only had so many of those fight scenes that they could spread around so they didn't want to use them all at once right i mean they it, it was judiciously handled and, you know, some of the stuff that I've read about how Saban, you know, cut the episodes together, that was usually the challenge was how can we take because they wanted more episodes than the Super Sentai series was generally creating, um, you know, so they're like, how can we create, you know, content with our American teenagers who are going through these stories and then work in these fights from these other places in a way that we we're not going to run out of content. Um, and so it was this interesting kind of game. To, to figure out and, and, you know, I, I kind of wish I knew more about how that was done. I can't imagine that it was Saban himself is probably, you know, a team of editors and, and, you know, story and content writers putting that stuff together and figuring out how to sort of, you know, put those puzzle pieces into place. But yeah, the show, it, it has that feel at least a little bit of the show. Um, so they feel, I, I, I don't remember exactly what gets them back out to the quarry um, or, or the gold mine. Uh, I guess they just kind of feel compelled to return and they all kind of show up at the same place. And then there's like this chasm jumping scene where they're figuring out they can jump really far and, you know, Billy fucks it up and falls uh, after he really makes the jump, but then he falls afterwards because he's being stupid. And, then they all kind of have to to go down there because they think he's I mean, they think he's dead. This movie does a lot. This movie kills Billy multiple times. I'm just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> like it's just it's just very very loose with Billy's life, um, or at least the threat that Billy is going to lose his life. Because again, I think it I think it knows that Billy's probably the only character you care about at this point, and so it's like oh we'll just make him think that Billy's dead and then everybody will feel bad. Um, but this pulls them down into this cave, uh, and, and there's some, you know, a neat shot here as they go down through, they basically swim down 
and there's some kind of additional gravitational field. So they swim, you know, down through the water and it's, it's, you I know, absolutely again, they enjoyed just, that. I enjoyed the part with yeah. them falling in the ravine and then going through the stargate of water. I enjoyed that. Yes. It, it's a nice scene. I mean, it's just, they, they just turn the camera upside down. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not a complicated effect, yeah. but it it's, it's effective and it works and it looks cool when they all cool. kind of get there. You know, it was cool how they, you know, they all slid down into the crevasse. It was neat, you know? Yeah. It's a nice, fun little sequence. And it, it wasn't is. a fight where things are exploding. No. Yeah. I, I just kept expecting putties to pop up for no reason, right? Like they would just appear and they'd have, to, and then like, you know, Jason all of a sudden would start fighting them, not in his Power Rangers outfit or anything, but he would just be expected to defeat them just because, you know, that's what these movies do, right? That's how you escalate the threat is, you know, they're just going about their daily lives. This crazy thing happens. Oh, now all of a sudden I'm fighting these monsters and I don't know what's going on. But this one sort of bypasses and sidesteps all of that stuff. And so instead, they make it through the, the crazy water wall and they find the ship that we saw crash at the very beginning of this of the, uh, the, the film. Um, presumably the Rangers, I, I guess it's some kind of flagship, right? It's what they flew around on. And so they find that, uh, which again, the original series, do we ever even know what that lair is other than just it's like a, it's like on a hill. That's the other thing. It's great. It's like on a hill on a mountain, like out in the middle of, of nowhere. And it just doesn't look like the landscape that you would find in like California. Town. No. No. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, it's sort of like Aqua Teen Hunger Forest where every episode opens on this, like, you know, castle or the one in Malignant, right? Where it's like, oh, here's a children's hospital <laughs> <laughs> on a cliffside in Seattle. Um, it, that's kind of what the Power Rangers, you know, place was as well. But this one, it's a crashed Ranger ship. They somehow get inside. I, I don't know how it doesn't really matter. It would have been much cooler if like the ship, it, they did the whole like ship responding to them thing. Like, oh, the power crystals are here. So I'm going to open up and I'm going to start powering on and all that. It, they don't really, don't really do that, but it would have been interesting. Um, and so they, they meet alpha five. Uh, finally, and, and again, Bill Hader's awesome in this. Uh, I'm, I didn't know that he was alpha five when we, we checked this out. And so when he showed up, that was a lovely surprise. It was just a, a nice little like, Oh, cool. And, uh, and I enjoyed that. And he, he again sort of buoys this sequence. Cause if this film has a problematic section, it's this section. It's all of these parts. It's always the second act. What do we do? How can we expand? You know, in traditional writing, right? Your second act is Get him deepening into the trouble. conflict. Yep, you got to deepen the conflict. You have to help us understand what the problem is. You've got to provide some exposition to, to help us understand the world, the universe. A lot of that should have been done in act one. But if you've got anything left to clean up, you got to do that now. And, and really just sort of getting to know the characters more, right? So your, your scenes that you choose for act two are, are really important, right? Because you can either be perceived as wasting time or moving too fast, right? There's really, I mean, finding the perfect balance, you know, all of those YouTubers that constantly complain about pacing, this is what they're talking about, 
right? Is that balance between character development, exposition, and conflict. How do you wrestle all of that content together and keep the next 30-ish minutes of your movie going without just coming to a hard stop? Um, I know I've referenced a lot of Predator movies this this episode, but uh, Predators, the uh, Robert Rodriguez-produced um, uh, Predator sequel that came out in like was like I saw God, that I remember one. it like the 2010s it had Adrian um, yeah, Brody Adrian in it Brody you know and Lawrence Fishburne was in it for three minutes. That's right, and and the Lawrence Fishburne part is the part I want to talk about because that movie is the prime example for how to fuck up your second act. The opening of Predators is really strong, right? You know, the falling out of the sky, hitting the ground, getting the team together or getting the people together and helping them sort of realize what's going on. That opening 30 to 40 ish minutes is really good. Uh, Maybe one of the best of any Predator movie. But then they had no idea what to do with the second act. So what do they do? They meet Lawrence Fishburne and Lawrence Fishburne takes them inside a ship and they sit around. It's not that long, all things considered. It's probably a 10-minute sequence in the film, but it so derails derails everything that they've done up until that point, and it doesn't do anything to set up what happens in the third act. Because the third act is just the ending of the original Predator. It's just that again. Well, because it turns out there's not that much you can do with Predators. No. No, I mean, it's it's a one trick pony. Guess what? Man. They are hunting you. Oh shit! <laughs> oh damn it! They're back um, again. Yeah, I mean, I love how they keep just making the reveal that they're here to hunt humans, oh, like a God. thing in every movie. Uh, it's like, oh, are you serious? They hunt us? What? That's disgusting. Uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, dude, that's that's what they do. Um, now, to be fair, Shane Black's The Predator tried to have another thing, but the thing that he chose was stupid. <laughs> it was stupid. And I won't say it here. We might actually do that movie on here at some point because it's that bad. Um, but it's it's just terrible. Just the dumbest idea in the human in the, the history of the human race. Um but anyway, to, to segue back to Power Rangers from other you know franchises that can't quite seem to find their footing again. When the, the five new Rangers, and they have been christened the new Rangers by the power coins or whatever, step into the morphing grid inside the ship at the direction of Alpha 5, they, uh, they basically restart the vessel. And we find out that Zordon, the ranger that we saw the red ranger that we saw die at the beginning did not actually die his essence um consciousness consciousness yes it it was transferred into the ship and now he can offer advice to the rangers now he's a wall he is a wall a very nice you know sort of digital it's like one of those little pin things you put on your hand you know you find it at the it's got a real lawnmower man feel to it It, uh, it's a little bit a little bit of a lot more. Um, it, it, the effect itself is fine. It, it is not bad. No, I actually um, think it looks really cool. You know, it's Brian Cranston's face, but it's not Brian Cranston right there in his Walter right. White costume. Yeah, he doesn't have his little hat on with the sunglasses, <laughs> which is is good. Um, but then they're treated to, uh, you know, they're they're kind of. I, I guess teenagering it up and they're like, yeah, whatever you say, old man. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. they are teenagers with attitude, I guess. Um, 
and and These then he shows too them too much attitude alpha too five too much attitude send them back <laughs> uh, they've got an attitude meter of 11 i need an attitude meter of 9 um but he shows them you know that rita in is in essence coming how he knows this how he is aware that she has been reborn nobody knows and it's fine again uh, there this movie has problems sort of putting its pieces into position, right? Like it's a problem in this movie. It's, it has a hard time sort of getting everybody into the right places and, and things kind of tend to happen. It's, you know, it, it falls into that trap of wanting to explain to the audience everything that's happening rather than just showing us and trusting that we understand. Right. And again, relying on the fact that this is, this is not a complex or it does not have to be a complex premise, right? This doesn't, this doesn't need to be any more complicated than you are the good guys. You need to fight the bad guys, right? It's, it's all right. Um, so after this revelation of what's coming, most of the people just run away, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> We're like, we're out of here, man. Uh, but Jason stays behind and Zordon gives him some additional context and reveals that he is the Red Ranger, uh, basically his successor, and that he has the ability to, you know, bring the team together. So this is where that theme gets introduced. And that's really what the second act is focused on, is uniting the team. And, and if you're behind that, if you're willing to go along with that being the thrust of the next 20 minutes of this movie, um, then I think you'll be pretty satisfied because it is sort of fun in how these teenagers begin to work together um, and, and find something in each other. And, and so here's where we kind of delve in, you know, obviously we've gotten Jason and Kimberly's backstories already, but now we find out the rest of them. Um, uh, Becky G, um, the yellow Ranger, you know, her family doesn't get her. They don't really understand her. Um, they, She's you know, made some mistakes in the past that have you know, restricted her ability to move and go places. I did want to say that the, the mom in this scene is, uh, I can't remember the actress's name, but she's Joe from Eureka. Um, we've never really, have we ever talked about Eureka? No. I, I love Eureka a lot, actually. It was a sci-fi show um, from the mid-2000s. Um, about, a, you know, kind of a dumb guy, like a regular dude, sheriff guy who comes to a, a town. Uh, he's like a federal marshal and he comes to this town and this town is like a, basically a think tank. All of the smartest people in the world live in this town and they work at this like secret government lab making all this crazy shit. Um, it was one of those just like Canadian productions that sci-fi funded probably longer than they should have. It ran for like five or six seasons or something. Um, but really fun, very goofy. Matt Frewer is in it and he's marvelous. Um, just a great cast. But so the, the guy, the federal marshal decides to stay in the town cause he likes the people. He gets along with them. Um, and his deputy has been there forever and her name's Joe and she's like super militaristic and, and, but a, a source of humor and she plays Becky G's, the Yellow Ranger's mom in this, just in a real small part. And it was just nice to see her in something because I hadn't seen her in a while. So I was like, yay, it's it's her. Um, and she actually gets a pretty good joke because um, she says something about like, 
she tells them like I found a coin now I'm a superhero and her mom just like slams this cup and is like pee in this cup <laughs> and I was like that's 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 a good that's a good joke I like that joke um so everybody kind of gets that we find out that's uh, the Black Ranger his mom is ill and he spends most of his days taking care of her which is why he's not at school very often and why he's and not why he, in this movie very often and why he's not really in this movie he's just hanging out in the quarry just kind of <laughs> chilling you know um sir not appearing in this film <laughs> exactly and uh but really and, and i i still am shocked whenever i rewatch this that rita repulsa you know the villain of the film played by Elizabeth Banks does not really show up in this movie until almost an hour in. Yeah. And maybe this is why they chose to have her in the, um, to have her in the, the sort of, well, it's, it's not even Elizabeth Banks in the opening, but maybe this is why they chose to reveal her in the openings. Cause you know, otherwise we're 60 minutes into the movie before she shows up. And really but that's course, just editing. You know, they could have put some other scenes spliced in if, I mean, they could have moved some of her stuff earlier in the movie. It's just they didn't. Right. They just did not make that choice. And so uh, the body that, you know, Jason's dad found on the fishing boat regenerates, of course. And, you know, we see Rita and she's I, I mean, she's killing people. Yes, but she's mostly draining them of gold. Yeah. Right. Um. So. Honestly, I think you remember Rita from the show more than I do, right? Like, I obviously know of her. Was she obsessed with gold in the show? Well, I mean, Goldar. There's Goldar, the, that right? That character is real. And that, I think, yes. is why it became like a... It became a much bigger thing in this. But, like, I don't remember... I don't remember being quite like this. <laughs> no, um... So Rita needs gold so that she can. I mean, she does. Um, she does. But yes. she's. But her thing overall is that she's. She's a. She wants to rule the universe, and she'll do that right. like a lot of different ways. <laughs> yes. So if I remember correctly, the plan that Rita has is to collect as much gold as possible with her magic staff, which is also made of gold recreate Goldar Goldar will then obey her commands. And once she locates the position of the Zeo crystal, Goldar will dig into the earth <laughs> and break the Zeon crystal or the, the Zeo crystal. And because Rita, even though she's apparently immensely powerful, cannot do this on her own. Yep. And instead she needs what in this film in the in the show, Goldar was a blue faced lion man who wore who gold, wore gold armor. armor. And like Rita Repulsa, all she—I mean, am I wrong that her power was that she made them big, right? Yes, like she could fair. embiggen the bad guys. She that's could all make I them remember. Bigger. I yeah, she had a magic wand and it made the small monsters make my monster big. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like it was, yeah. it was so simple. It was just a simple yeah, I mean, story. Maybe, maybe she, you know, maybe she created the monsters at some stage. I, I really don't remember. But yeah, uh, so the again, turning her into the Green Ranger 
is is a really kind well, of specific choice. And that's because the Green Ranger was a bad guy when he made his debut. Yes. Like yes. the original Tommy the Green Ranger was a that was bad. Right. That was and a big he, deal. I do remember that. Was, that was huge. Oh my god, dude. I I even being like in high school and not that into Power Rangers, I was culturally aware of how awesome the Green Ranger was. Um, right? He had a dragon sword. He had a magic knife that he was also a flute. I mean, it's just, you know, it's big, it's big dramatic. It's why you watch. Yeah. It's why you watch yeah. like weird Japanese shit when you're a kid, because it's just so awesome. Right. I mean, it's this is my ocarina of dragon time. Right. Like That's, that's what was, you get. I was big on the Green Ranger. I thought it was really, really cool. So then, I guess selfishly, you know, I, I I feel like if this had gone on for a sequel that the, the role of green ranger was going to be claimed by somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's why they went to all this trouble to introduce her as the green ranger and try and set up that, you know, the green ranger could also be bad. Ooh. Um, right. it, it, but it complicates. Yeah, I mean the t- the fact that a ranger could go bad. Yeah, that, that is like, like that would have been concept. really cool sure. for a sequel to this movie. But they they probably shouldn't have leaned so hard on the there's going to be a sequel to this movie because I feel like yes. they they overcomplicated this villain a lot. Unfortunately, yes. Um, and so it, it, whether or not that works for you, I, again, I think you're right. As a Power Rangers fan, that's probably just going to make you mad. Um, it, it, within the context of the film itself, it's kind of fine. You know, it doesn't really matter. I think it complicates how powerful Rangers are. Um, because, you know, the, the Power Rangers that we see our characters developing into are, are not that powerful. Yeah. Right. So, so how did Rita then become so powerful? And I, I'm there may have been a couple of things hinted at in the film, but it's not, not nearly, it's it, not yeah, strong it's, enough it's not to make an impression. Right. Um, so, so really the, the bulk of this middle section is for lack of a better word, is it's a training montage. There's more to it than that. We see a lot more of the, the various Rangers interacting with each other, you know, yeah, well, we we two of them fight over the last remnant of a Krispy Kreme donut. A Krispy Kreme, they have a yeah. little fork battle. I and you um, know I really liked that. I yeah, liked, I mean I liked the fork battle because I felt like that was something you'd see in a Karate Kid movie. Exactly, I was like, that's what they would do at Karate Kid. They would have a that's fork a battle in a donut thing. shop. <laughs> fork battle in a donut shop, man. Um, a lot of people, uh, a surprising number of the reviews that I read were super pissed off about the amount of product placement in this film. It's heavy. And it's uh, Krispy Kreme paid a jack ton of money to this film. And I don't think they saw the expected return. I'm yeah. going to guess anyway. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot. I mean, Krispy Kreme is the most egregious but because it's you know there's some right it's actually written into the script at one point Rita Repulsa you know Elizabeth Banks says Krispy Kreme and it's really cute and funny the Krispy Kreme yeah I mean it's like Elizabeth Banks is really cute and funny but at the same time it's like holy shit (laughs) 
this is a <laughs> this is a film. We're doing this. Yeah, we're we're doing films now. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's a choice. Um, I, I, this is how modern movies get made. Um, unless you're somebody like Martin Scorsese or Christopher Nolan. Um, you know, and Christopher Nolan does it too. He just does it with cars and watches and shit you won't pay attention to. Um, but, but this is, this is part of that business. And, um, you know, I, I love watching Marvel movies and then figuring out which auto manufacturer paid for the, the exclusivity in this one. Uh, it seems like Disney and BMW are getting along really well these days because a shocking number of BMWs appear in Shang-Chi. Um, like they get wrecked like terribly, but there's it's still like a street full of BMW i8s, you know. And sometimes it can be done where it's not such a compromise. It doesn't feel like it's it's such a compromise to the film. Um it's always yes. bad. I mean, I'm just going to say straight up, it's always it is. bad. It is. It's, um, it's a terrible practice. I, I can't say that it's not. But not every movie has to do the, the lingering shot of the brand item. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, for somebody yep. puts puts an item in a cabinet and, you know, it has the in-cabinet shot and then it rests just a couple seconds just on the brand. Just a little bit longer, yeah. So you can be like, by the way, Energizer. Energizer batteries, in case you forgot, buy those today. <laughs> I mean, it, Wayne's World said it best, right? You yeah. Know, it's like, I just can't believe someone would do that. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, it's 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 pretty egregious with the Krispy Kreme thing. It, again, it it elevates to the point of farce, though, Yeah. right? Like, by the end of the film, it's like, it's so egregious that it's just funny. Like I, I laughed legitimately. Um, so the training montage continues. They're fighting holographic putties for some reason. Like just fight real putties. I don't know why they're, they're doing this, but they fight holographic putties. They learn how to do a suplex. Like there's, it's in terms of, of training montages, it's pretty weak. Um, it didn't have it's, a lot of energy trying to do a lot. Yeah. It's um, just kind of turgid. It's just laying there, you know? I mean, you, I love a good montage. I, I go be if I'm honest, that's like my favorite thing in movies. Mm-hmm. I love it when comic book movies indulge in it, especially, and I love it when action movies indulge in it. It's you can have so much delightful, goofy fun if you have you know the right needle drop, if you've got the right you know the right cast, if you have you know humor mixed with some character growth. Everybody loves a good montage, but this one mm-hmm. didn't quite get there and i i don't know if it's if it's that what was going on wasn't interesting i'm not sure it just it felt like it didn't have any of that light-hearted fun except for the fork battle that felt really good that felt at home in a montage yeah yeah the putty stuff is fine i mean it's a lot of them failing and getting you know knocked into the dirt which from a stunt perspective is is whatever um you know, but it's it's just not very engaging. And I think a lot of it is there's no threat, right? You know that there's no danger to them here. Um, I, I would have much rather seen more of them outside of the training dojo or training rock quarry where they're at or whatever. And actually like being out in public and maybe Jason's doing like some cool 
parkour along the rooftops or, 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 you know, there is a, he has like a mountain bike, you know, like go have him do sweet mountain bike tricks, you know, just something to show that they're increasing in their abilities, but you know, aren't quite there yet. Cause that's, that's also part of it is it's interspersed with a lot of shots of them trying to morph and failing in the morphing grid, you know, to emphasize, Oh, they're not a team yet. Um, which again, I'm fine with, but it, it just goes on a bit long, right? We see it too many times. I, I will say that the, the dialogue that a lot of them begin to share, they, they begin coalescing a bit more and you can see that in the editing and the, and the choices, but it's just, it's not interesting enough um, to, to keep my attention for the entirety of the sequence. You know, it's just, there's not enough at stake. Uh, it does spruce up a little bit when uh, Ludi Lin's character takes the Zord out, which again, I, it's one of those so eg egregiously stupid things for a character to do that it, it didn't make any sense. Uh, the scene itself was fine, but I don't like movies that have characters do things that you can't come back from, but then hand wave them to make it seem like it's all fine. Like that dude took a Zord in public and like bit off the top of a mountain. <laughs> like that's pretty significant. Uh, people would notice that Some, and have questions about it. That. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel confident that someone would say, "Hey, you know, Jed, wasn't there a mountain over there yesterday?" I feel like that mountain was you smaller. Know, they're on their way to work or something and and they just kind of like go, uh, "You know, yeah, I think I think that did have a top to that mountain the other day." But yet they just kind of are like, "Ah, it's fine. Nobody noticed. He's good. He'll, he'll be okay." And that kind of stuff bugs me, not necessarily because it's it's bad. I mean, lots of movies do those kinds of things for, you know, the momentary gag. But it's always annoying when they do. But yeah, it's just I, I it was one of those like, oh, you were doing so good movie like you were there. You had this. Why did you why did you do it? Um, And then we kind of come, you know, we talked a little bit last time about like centerpiece scenes, like the, the scenes that sort of define the movie. Uh, And for me, for this one, it's. Um, the campfire scene. So the team has been working together. I, I also don't like that. They establish that this is like five days. They've got literally like a week to figure out how to morph and yeah. just be power Rangers before they have to defeat the most powerful being in the universe. And it feels like I, for, for what a, it would have been so good if it was a slower lead up to that. Of maybe you know yes. her building power over time. You know she's some dark threat. Um, but no, five days. We're all best friends now. <laughs> yeah, it just it's um, it's it's a really weird choice to to time gate it like that. Whereas even a, a couple of weeks, you know, we're just like we're, don't mention how long it's been. Yeah, just don't even put a time limit on it. Just say, like, you know, we've got it. It's such an easy screenwriting trick to say you've got five days to the apocalypse. Fix it. Because, like, your, like, your audience will be able to intuit how long it has been by seeing the relationships change between your characters. So you don't right. really if, have to give them a time frame. 
And if anything, that short time frame hurts this movie because the characters have to do too much growth in that time frame. And we're shown more than would be probably reasonable. Yeah, I found presumably they still have to go to school and shit. Yeah, like Like, I found myself thinking there's no way they would be this this chummy already. There's just not enough time for this to to land the way I, I would have wanted it to. I, I don't know. I wish, because I like the campfire scene too. Um, but yeah, the five days thing, it kind of, it hurts a scene like this because you're thinking, well, I mean, it hasn't been that long. And you guys are certainly close, aren't you? <laughs> right. But the campfire scene, I guess, is where the screenwriting team and, and I should assume the director decided that this is where they were going to finally have all of them, you know, open up to each other. And, and this would be the, okay, everything's going to come together here. And I like the scene itself. I like the conversation. It feels very natural. Um, constructed of course, but not in that like hyper annoying way. Um, you know, again, somebody watched a lot of John Hughes movies to prepare for sort of slamming these teenagers together in, in yeah. sort of interesting ways. And as a result, it's it's heightened movie dialogue, but it like a good John Hughes movie, it's delivered in a relatively believable fashion where everybody's kind of sharing. They get their turn. The mic passes to the next person, you know, and so on and so forth. Right. These don't feel and, like caricatures of teenagers. They feel like just very, very cool teenagers that are a whole lot cooler than you ever were. That's right. And and as a result, they have cool stories and yeah. backgrounds and things that yeah. they want to share. And and you know, you can sort of engage with them. And and here's where, you know, that we're finally sort of shown or expected to show, you know, that that they're a team. Um, and it's, it's, it's long. It's like 10, 12 minutes of them just talking, which again, in a modern middle adult aged, young adult aged action film to have a nearly 15 minute sequence dead middle of the film where teenagers are just sort of sharing their hopes and dreams. <laughs> I mean, it is a very eighties move. Yeah. It's, it's, it's surprising. In the eighties. But it, if you are invested at all in the story at this point, it's, it's going to deepen that appreciation. Like, and it's, it's effective in that way. Um, but then the movie takes a real hard left turn because I honestly think they had no idea how to actually build the conflict between Rita and the Power Rangers. And so... Um, the yellow ranger has a dream, uh, sort of, it's sort of like a dream, but it's a real dream where Rita, who is, we did get a scene of her collecting gold. She goes to a jewelry store and eats all the gold, um, which is a fun scene. Again, Elizabeth Banks having a great time. She gets to eat what I presume was some chocolate costume jewelry or something. And, uh, and she's kind of rebuilding her armor, right? Which I think is a thing they could have emphasized more. Like she needs the gold to not only summon Goldar, which, you know, hey, remember Angel Grove is built on a gold mine, yeah, remember? But she's mostly like rebuilding her armor and and her, her green Power Ranger stuff, uh, which, you know, is 
is cool. I, I wish that would have been explained a bit more, or at least sort of help us understand what she's doing and why she needs this. Um, you know, not that it needed intense explanation, but a little bit more, I think would have been good. Um, but then I kind of don't know what happens because the yellow ranger shows up to the rest of the team later. And then what she tells them is nothing that Rita said to her in that meeting. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember the specifics. I, I'm sure we could, could, you know, find out, but she shows up and basically says, Oh, this is all going to happen in like two days. And this is the plan. And this is what she's doing. And none of that dialogue was shown to us in the scene where Rita Repulsa was in her room. Like she just knew, you know, right. She's intuitive. She's got right? a feeling. You know, she, she connected with the green ranger and she's like, Oh, I get you, man. I'm feeling you, bro. I don't know. Um, we hung out and I really connected with her. I feel like I understand what she's going to do next. <laughs> she was really excited about gold. I, just, I don't know. Um, so I, that to me smacks of we don't know how to get to this conflict. To me, it seems so simple how you introduce Rita Repulsa to the team as a threat. Um, she goes to the ship. Yeah. Because she knows where the ship is. Uh, she would she would know yeah and she was she, there. It, she was presumably on it at some point yeah uh, and then probably was the one who crashed it well, and then like she was right there when in the beginning of the movie yeah like yeah, we, we saw, we that, saw that they they showed us that they actually took their time to show us that they did um but she goes to the ship and she jacks it up Right, maybe Alpha Five loses an arm or something, and they come back, and Zordon's like, well, "She kidnaps here, him." You know? Oh shit! Yeah, I mean, like you know, <laughs> Mark, so know. many options, <laughs> but instead they go to the local football stadium for a powwow for reasons unexplained. I'm guessing because it was an available filming location, and and again, she just lays out this plan that Rita had not communicated to her in any fashion. Um, so I, I guess we can presume that the scene continued on after and, and this information was shared, but really it's to get them to another, it's a trap. She's, you know, come to this pre-ordering place, bring this stuff or else blah, blah, blah. And it, it just, this, this is where the plot gets really rough. And I'm imagining, I'm guessing that either this was a budgetary concern and they had to restructure some of these things for the sake of time, or they, they legitimately didn't know how to connect what really is the second act now into the third act. They just didn't know how to get those things together. Um, and it, it, even just like seeing random reports of somebody stealing gold and one of them offhandedly mentions it and Alpha Five's like, gold? Rita Repulsa loves gold, you know, like, like whatever. This would have been really easy to set up having one of the kids' parents or somebody they know work at the gold mine, and like mm -hmm. the gold mine gets attacked, you know, because yep. miners work there, and they wouldn't want anything to happen. Like, you don't want them to die, so the Power Rangers would have to help. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. And it's just it's it's loose and it's not great and and smacks of either studio interference or you know 
test audiences not responding to whatever scenes were there before, because a lot of this stuff from this sequence feels we shot this on a soundstage on a Saturday afternoon when everybody came back together for the reshoots. And that's fine. Reshoots are totally fine. I'm not one of the people that's like, oh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is going into its third round of reshoots. Like, yeah, that freaking happens, man. It's not a big deal. These movies are huge. You set out to make them. You have your plan. Sometimes shit doesn't work out. The biggest one that I point to is the best line in Avengers Endgame. Literally the best line is Tony Stark as he's dying. Sorry, spoilers for, you know, the movie that everybody and their grandmother has seen where he says, I am Iron Man in response to I am inevitable. That was a reshoot. It was suggested by the editor in the editing room after the film was completed. Right? Like, and it's, it's, if that line wasn't there, the movie would be worse for it. Right? Reshoots are fine. Like, don't calm down. It's okay. Everybody gets a but, do-over. <laughs> but these reshoots feel a bit more egregious, right? They feel That's, a bit more like, yeah, we we didn't we didn't know what we needed here. Yeah. Um, because there's a very brief fight with Rita after this, because they all five go to fight her, even though they still can't morph, and they have no idea what they're doing, but they're gonna go fight this Power Ranger, right? And and she traps them and she kills which is like the the down moment of 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 this film and and then I love it because uh Elizabeth Banks as Rita just says I bet you've figured out my plan if you haven't I'll just tell you <laughs> and, and that, again that was very Rita Repulsa on the show it was Yes. No, she was always obvious yeah. about what she was trying to and, do. And super yeah. funny. And that's, I think, maybe what doesn't work here is she, like, Elizabeth Banks is being so funny. Just silly. Like, she says really contradictory, right. really stupid things. Like, all of her lines are stupid. The script is so bad for everything that comes out of Rita's mouth. But yeah. that's kind of the point. Like, I feel like that was on purpose because then the way she performs it is very comedic. But then she yes. turns around and murders. <laughs> yes. It, again, it's a film that doesn't quite know how to handle this villain. Um, she is a silly character. And so playing her in that way is entirely appropriate. However, the especially, especially <laughs> the last chunk of this movie is kind of serious. Like it takes itself very seriously. And as a result, there there's some conflict here and it, it feels, especially in this scene where she's got them all trapped and they're talking on the, you know, on the side of the boat or whatever. Um, it, it all feels, it feels like she's in a different movie than the one that we are watching. Yeah. Right. She's, she's a character from a different film and, it, and as a result, it, it sort of swings. Her, her performance edges a little bit closer to like Ivan Ooze from the 95 <laughs> movie, where yeah. it's just over the top, goofy, silly stuff. And it doesn't match what's going on on the screen. But at the same time, I didn't like what was going on on screen. 
So I kind of wish they'd played into the silly stuff a little bit more in the final act because it was was a little dark for Power Rangers. Yes, uh, it takes a bit long for the fun to begin. Yeah. Right. Uh, This is where the fun begins, right? Like it, it's a really serious, like John Hughes teen drama. And then they get super suits. (laughs) And that's a weird choice, man. Like it's, it's not something that you would immediately be like, yeah. All right. So you're telling me that Anthony Michael Hall at the end of the film, instead of watching, uh, you know, these characters split up at the end, they're all going to get power suits and then they're going to fight a monster. Cool. Right. Like it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work, but, but here's the thing. I love Billy. And when Billy dies in this, they really lean into it hard. And if you care about Billy and I did, and I, I do, you, you feel that. And, and the team sort of like they're wrestling with their loss and dragging that poor boy's body up that mountain to toss him in, in a crevasse. Um, it's, it's something like, it's just, it's something, uh, we've got, you know, a nice mournful song playing, uh, a version of stand by me, which is again, Interesting. a choice, you know? Cool. And and so there's been this thing that they've built up that Zordon, once the morphing grid is reactivated, and again, this is all for the film, once the morphing grid is reactivated, there's a brief window of time where Zordon will be able to be resurrected via the power of the morphing grid. Um, and so... The idea at a couple of points has been, well, they just need to morph so that Zordon can come back and like sort this shit out. And and that's kind of been the backup plan all along. But what what happens and, and again, it's a nice scene. It's well done. It, it, it works. Decently uh, is that Zordon decides to sacrifice that opportunity in order to use the morphing grid to resurrect Billy. And this would have just meant more if we had had more time developing his relationship to them. But we don't spend a ton of time doing that in the movie. So this feels very rushed. Yes, this feels rushed. Like uh, what I had, what I was hoping for as I watched was that Zordon would transition from this sort of admonishing administrator where he's like, you must do these things. These are the things you must do into I care for you. Because he was more caring on the show. Yeah. I mean, he's still a floating head in a jar. So, I mean, you know, that there's a limitation there, but he was a holographic projection with feelings. Damn it. That's right. He was, he was their holographic head in a jar, Papa. And, and, and that doesn't really happen. It should have happened before this at least a little bit like, you know, whether it was a few more heartfelt conversations with Jason or, you know, him explaining to alpha five, how he sees such potential in them. Well, those flashbacks you mentioned would have been a really great way to inject more Zordon development into the movie instead of doing it in the beginning. What I really expected, especially during the training montages and, and, you know, movies don't have to curb to my expectations, but yes, they do. 
you know, <laughs> there is a shocking lack of action in yeah. the second act of this film. Like for an action movie, apart from those putty fights, which are again sort of they they languish, they're not tremendously interesting. What would have been more interesting is that these teens are struggling to sort of like get their fucking act together. So why don't I tell you some stories from Power Rangers past? Right. And we see in advance, you know, I understand if you can't like use the same suits because you don't want to confuse the audience as to who's doing it or something, whatever, man, like change the helmets, you know, do whatever you got to do. But like, let us see these these rangers and who they are and what they've done in the past. Right. Easy way to get another action sequence in because you could show them doing like just baller shit. Um, well, yeah, you know, like I don't feel like the the teenagers were ever really told what was magical about being a Power Ranger in any meaningful way. Like, right, it's never made relevant to them why they would want to be a Power Ranger. Yes, like why is this power desirable? You know, what are you going to become? And you know, they've already shown that the morphing grid or whatever can show them things. It can represent things in three dimensions. Just, you know, flash us back, man. Like this is, this is where that stuff has the power to both propel your movie forward. Cause, Oh, that was a cool sequence, but also help us understand the context of what these teenagers are going through and give them a goal. Like, here's what you will be able to accomplish if you can, can do this. Um, but we, you know, we don't really get any of that. And so here we get Zordon sacrificing his opportunity to be reborn because they've they've come together as a team. They've learned how to 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 unite, um, but they're lacking Billy. So he brings Billy back. There's a nice coming in for the hug with Mahomes kind of thing. And again, you know, if you're going to hire a bunch of CW kids, you could go more wrong than this movie gets. Uh, again, Naomi Scott, not awesome, but everybody else is kind of killing it and and it does really well. Um, and so they morph. Guess what? Surprise. Aww. In a film called that, well, that should have been called the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers instead of just Power Rangers. Uh, they morph finally and we see them sort of, you know, come into their their sweet suits. Um, which I, I was going to ask specifically, what do you think of these suit designs in this? Obviously, if you've seen the original Power Rangers, they're just leotards. Right? I'm, I'm a bigger fan of the simpler suits. That's always going to be the case with me. I like the mm-hmm. spandex and the helmets. Um, <laughs> mostly because those suits were just really vibrant. Like The thing that was so appealing about the Power Rangers for, like as a child was that they were colorful, they were you know, exciting to look at, they were fun to watch on screen, and everything in the show was really, really brightly colored. Um, mm-hmm. My favorite was the Yellow Ranger, because my favorite color is yellow. I didn't get the same kind of vibrance and, and lightness from the suits. They looked, you know, they looked like your standard ninja space suit kind of I don't know just not very exciting I, I was I was looking forward to them looking really cool um because like 
you can redesign the cheesy costumes from the 90s. Like uh, from one of the, the costume redesigns that stands out in my head are the ones for Tron Legacy. You know, we've yes. talked about Tron Legacy on this before. We have um, many times. But I felt like the design of the, the grid suits was so cool in Tron Legacy because it took the original design from the original movie, which I already liked, and just kind of juiced it up a little in all the right places. Um, but it didn't go overboard, you know, giving it all kinds of armor plates and extraneous parts and, you know, extra goobers. And I felt like there were just a lot of extra goobers on these range of suits. Yes. Um, somebody saw Iron Man and yeah. said, man, that looks kind of neat. Um, I, I, I don't remember who did the suits. Um, it, it was one of the, the really famous, like, you know, suit design houses. I think they might've been the ones that did like the ones for the Martian, a couple other places, but so we, we get the first reveal of the suits. They transform. And then we do get a, a pretty nice, you know, team walking forward in triangle formation to a sweet arpeggio. It felt very Tron-esque to me. You know, a little little daft punky in that, that sequence. And, you know, I, I'm a fan of cinema. I like when cinematic techniques like slow motion are used effectively, especially when set to music. And so this one was a good one of those, even if the suits that they are slowly revealing were not incredible, right? Um, I liked that they kept the helmets mostly the same design. Like the helmets yes. are pretty close, um, but the the suits themselves, they're just much more armory and, and you know, kind of what you, you've come to expect. Um, there, there's a strong indication that there's like a leotard underlayment. Like there's a thing that goes over their skin. That's like skin tight. And I was like, well, they could just have done that. Um, but again, you know, this is a, you know, action film from 2017. They have to have sweet Marvel looking armor. Um, and, and then again, like what Rita has been doing and the timing of her doing it has been so erratic and so difficult to understand. Because she does what what theoretically you would think she would have done immediately after having enough power, which is she goes to the gold mine and she raises Goldar. And it's like, why didn't you just do that a long time ago? Yeah. Why did you wait to do it until now? And that's not really clear. Uh, then we get our first Power Ranger fight of this movie. Uh, and we are... Almost done. Uh, an hour and 30 in, right? Or 90 minutes into the movie before we see Power Rangers punching things, which, again, I, I appreciate what this movie's doing and I like what it's doing. But this, this, even to someone who is like on board for what this film is doing, it's just so opposite to the tone that we've established that for the first few minutes of this fight scene, which is not extremely long, I was like, wait, is this, is this happening now? Are we doing this? And, and I don't know if it had the intended effect of like, Oh, awesome. Cause I was just bewildered for a minute. Like, yeah. Oh wait, they have suits and they're doing martial arts moves and everything now. And they're fighting putties. And, and mm. for me, the martial arts parts were really disappointing. Um, and yeah. that's just because I'm 
that was my favorite part of the show. Um, I actually mm-hmm. wasn't that crazy about the Zord part. I, I like I like the Zords, you know, saber tooth tiger. Um, yeah. But my favorite, like I lived for the the ass kicking scenes where it was just them in the suits, just doing flips and shit. Really fucking cool. That was yeah, my those favorite little, part. Those little like um those those little pocket explosions. Yeah. That would go off like the ten of them in the background and they just like poof. Love that. Have a little explosion. Just great. And I um, I would have liked to have seen more of that because the you know, the acrobatics, that was that's part of the Power Rangers, and it was kind of missing from this. Um, yes, we really this is the only scene where they do any of that. Yeah. And it's not especially good. Yeah. Um, we don't even really get to see them, you know, do any like cool combo moves. Uh, Jason gets to use his sword, I guess, but none of the other like abilities or powers, you know, are on display. It, it feel it, it feels like a missed opportunity. What is here is not bad. It's it's fine, but but it doesn't it doesn't play as well as it could because it's so late in the game that it can't help but be underwhelming, right? Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit with Midnight Mass, actually. Like, that movie is, or that 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 show is end-loaded, right? Like, everything that you think that it's going to be happens at the end. And if you, if you do that to your audience, that payoff of, like, I have watched five hours of this, there are two hours left, what's going to happen? That good. payoff has to be good or else you are just going to leave them deflated, right? If you sprinkle a little bit throughout, and this is this is why Marvel works, right? Marvel has got that formula down where I can drip feed you enough stuff throughout the movie that when we get to the end and he's fighting a giant beam in the sky or a monster that you've only seen for five minutes that you don't care about, you're not going to be completely left out in the cold because there are other things in the movie you can hang your hat on if that's what you came to the film for. This movie, it doesn't have that. Because we get one fight with putties that is over in a couple minutes, and then we immediately switch to the Zord fight. And the Zord fight is is good. It's It's fine, but it really... You know, we've been talking about the sort of obvious influences this film wears. Uh, this is Transformers. Yep. This is just Transformers. That's what they're going for here. And and if you didn't think they were going to do that when you sat down to watch this movie, then I don't know how to help you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like the Zords are going to be the thing, but I didn't. I was hoping that the Zords wouldn't be the entirety of the third act fight. Me too. But that's basically what they are. Um, the once the Zords are introduced, they never come out of the Zords again inside the suit. Well, you know, one character does, but they're in the Zords until the end. And the Zord is admittedly neat. It's a nice update to the design. I think it needed to be bulkier. Um, the The Zords themselves are okay. They're still color coded a little bit, but not nearly enough. I, I, how did you feel? Because when they get into the Zords, you know, Bill Hader yells, go, go, Power Rangers. And then the song plays, right? They they had to do it. Did I they? don't know why they didn't do it earlier. I, I don't know why they didn't do it earlier. Like, or, or I'm a really I, big fan of just working it into the score, right? Like, we, 
you don't have to do the lyrics, well, right? Just I do the, don't know why dun, you dun, wouldn't. Dun, 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 dun. I don't know why you wouldn't use that for the montage in the middle when we're trying to do the team building exercises, right? Because that's where it would have made more sense. Like we need to be the mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and they get all excited, and then the you know the big battle scene is a little serious. So that's when you have your orchestral music swell over them getting in the zords and step into it it just it didn't again the tone of this movie is just a little weird where it's like okay the power rangers song here really okay right and Um, and, you know and and the, the zord battle went way cheesier in some parts than i thought it would yes um it's interesting. They they do the individual Zord fighting first against, you know, there's putties everywhere. Um, but like a couple of the bullies get some comeuppance from the Zords a little bit, almost sort of like Biff Tannen back to the future style, oh. which is a little weird. Um, you know, but everything is everything comes to a head at Krispy Kreme. That's what yeah. we need to. That's really the message of the film. If things are going to happen, it's going to happen at Krispy Kreme. That's where you're going to get what you need, um, both nutritionally and spiritually and zeo crystally, uh, because that's that's what Rita is looking for. The zeo crystal is buried beneath the Krispy Kreme in town. That's what Billy had discovered through his his um, attempts to try and locate it based upon you know information provided to him by Zordon and Alpha Five. And so Goldar is, is going there to, to bring up the Zeo crystal and, you know, destroy everything or something. Um, and, but of course the, the, the big moment is the, the combining the forming of the, the mega Zord. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm a 40 ish year old man who grew up on transforming robot media of all kinds. And, I like it. I love it. I love transforming robots. I think they're great. Um, There are very few situations wherein a transforming robot is not going to make me at least some happy. So, so, you know, I I was okay with it. Um, The fact that again, they tried to ground the Zord transformation in an emotion, right? It's like their last moment. And, and then like they come back out of that last moment. I love um, how quickly you know, they united. were resigned to their death. Yeah. They were just good to go. Oh right? shit. This isn't working out. <laughs> I give up. Ah, oh, fuck. It was nice knowing you guys. <laughs> like yeah, you you could been try good. a little, like keep trying. Don't give up. Yeah. Power These Rangers. last five days have been great. Uh, enjoy your doom. <laughs> Um, so, you know, they're fighting Goldar. Goldar is very big and powerful. Um, you know, they're, they're still not necessarily working super great as a team just yet. Um, but then, uh, Jason's dad, his truck gets flipped over and, and, you know, there's just, you know, trying to add some emotional weight to this very big, very silly, you know, fighting the gold man sort of, uh, you know, scenario. But, you know, Jason gets to, to kind of finally be the hero, the, the leader that they need. And then the Megazord. Um, 
And then it's Megazord time. They they all form together. The Megazord is is very big, and I don't know. He's, he's kind of kind of. Yeah, I mean, it looks it's fine. It's fine. It's not as cool as it was on the show. I just I don't, don't love... think it ever would be, though, would it? No, I mean the the hyper organic nature of it. You know, the sort of like way that they tried to make the the Transformers more human and organic, you know, and, and stuff. I, I don't love that. I, I, I think a Megazord should be kind of bulky and, and big, um, but it's, it's okay. You know, like I said, I, I didn't hate it. I guess it was sort of supposed to mirror their suits a little bit to sort of be like, um, you know, to be like the Power Ranger suits themselves. Uh, the one thing I did really like about it was that they, they sort of tried to articulate the way they all have to work together to get it to do stuff. Yeah. Right. And they kind of, and they kind of screw that up at a certain point and they're like, Oh, you got to move the leg and I'll move this leg. And you know, like that was, was cute. You know, exactly. The largest and most dangerous game of Quop. Um, you know, but again, it's, it's a big monster fight and it's okay. They stab Goldar with swords and, and whatever. And then, what I was not expecting uh, at the beginning of the film, uh, Jason uh, just like slaps a dude. He slaps the bully, yeah. just open, open hand across the face. And it's like a real kind of like awkward moment where everybody looks at him. He's like, what? Why did you, did you, did just, you just slap, slap guy? Him? Yeah. Like what is happening? Like we're men. We punch, we punch the men. And, and you know, this is like kind of play it for a joke. And what I didn't realize is that that was set up. And the payoff was going to come at the end as uh, Rita Repulsa emerges from Goldar's remains and then leaps towards them with her staff. And Jason just slaps her into space. And that was great. Yeah. I enjoyed that that as a comedy beat at the end of the thing. That's (laughs) the kind of stuff that we probably should have been seeing throughout this entire enterprise. Yeah. Um, and and it also sets up because she she is flying through space towards the moon. So this is also a setup for potential sequels because Rita will command her monsters to grow from the moon, which is perfect. what always. Yeah. I mean, it's perfect. That's what it would have been. Before. It would have been really cool if they could have continued this series. I mean, I understand why they didn't. This movie's got a lot of issues, but. You know, there was a lot of good setup here. Yeah, and I, I really wanted to see these these actors inhabit these characters more. You know, now that we've gotten through all of this, what could we do, right? And I, I think there was potential for this particular group or this particular particular team to actually be kind of interesting. Um I I also was very interested. The one thing that this film did not have as much of that I thought they would was, um, you know, like the, the news reports, like how is Angel Grove processing <laughs> these changes, right? Like how people are like, oh, there's don't really giant robots see, now. Other than his dad, we don't see that many people. We have like a couple of brief shots, but we don't get a lot of crowd reactions or any idea of what kind of people live in this town? Yeah, no. Um, it's it's just 
it's just just folks, right? And it, it's very It reminds very me of the end of the first Thor. Uh yes. We're just it yeah. was just destruction in this little town, and I'm like, who the fuck are these people? I and bet they're having a really here? rough day. <laughs> um, I also did not like the helmets with no faceplates. Yeah. Not a fan. I don't ever like, like to see a helmet with the actor's faces. It always looks cooler when you have your face covered. Yeah, I mean, the the Power Rangers suits are, are sort of iconic, and the faces do not come off in pieces, yeah. right? Um. So yeah, not not a fan of of that particular approach. I know you know when you're an actor, you you know you need people to see your face on the screen. Well, you act with your face. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, I, especially when they were inside the Zords, I was like, okay, I know you're really high in the sky, but what if somebody could see you? What if somebody had binoculars out right now? Like you know, come on, put the mask down. Um, and then we get a nice little ending montage of all the characters, you know reconciling all of their stuff beginning to better understand themselves to accept that this is their their new you know life as rangers um and and you know the the double life thing because like the the black ranger's mom is like oh there were five of them and they saved us and all this stuff and he's like oh yeah that was really cool right you know it's like ha ha i'm one of them that kind of thing but uh you know it's it's cute. Uh, this this movie is one that I was surprised by. I think it's it's far better than it has any right to be, given sort of how they decided to put it together. Um, I think the second act is problematic and weak and could have been used much more effectively. But the character dynamics are pretty strong. The focus on the characters is shocking. But welcome. And ultimately, I, I, I was pretty pleased by it. I, I like this more than I expected to, for sure, and probably more than I should. But it's it's not bad. And, and for a, a movie that's attempting to reboot an ostensibly very silly franchise from the 90s, it's, it's pretty solid. Um, but I don't know. So where where do you fall on it as we, we kind of try to wrap this thing up? I wish that it had been sillier. I think that this is yet another casualty of dark hero movies. Um, just, you know, looking at the, the colors, the, the way it's shot. I just I kind of wish that it had been a little bit more lighthearted um and removed some of the darker series like really serious stuff maybe you know ease up on the murder a little bit <laughs> um you know just we have less murder please lessen the stakes a little bit i feel like power rangers is maybe the one franchise that you could do that and you could make it work you could go a little bit corny and a little bit little bit goofy and and that would that would work for people um so i do wish that it had done that but overall this was not this was not the terrible film that it very well could have been i mean they could have gone totally. full Zack snyder with this if they want 
nobody goes full Snyder. Um, yeah, no, it, it's, it feels like it's fighting for its own identity in a lot of ways because it wants to be that gritty modern power Rangers, you know, it wants to be that, but at the same time, it wants to have that sense of fun, that sort of lightheartedness that drove power Rangers into the, the hearts of so many, many, you know, young kids and teens because it was fun and you knew that everything was going to work out. Right. Even when things were dark, things were going to be fine. And that's, and that's what, you know, I'm, for lack of a better term, children's entertainment is all about, right? The danger needs to be there. The threat needs to be there. But at the end, the world is set right again, um, at least most of the time. And this movie struggles with that balance really hard. Uh, not so hard that I think it's it's not worth your time. Um, I think it is, especially, again, if you have any connection to the Power Rangers franchise at all. But it struggles with that because it's it's trying to serve too many masters, and somebody didn't know exactly what they wanted. Um, I think the the last bit of this movie is is really strong. I, I think they're the once they're in the suits, they're fighting, they're working as a team, the swords, you know, all of that stuff. Most of that works pretty well. But unfortunately, it's not enough payoff for what this movie has you wait through. Um, unless you are just especially forgiving, which I am, I am, I am a very forgiving film goer. I am, I'm not, uh, I am not discerning in the way that I probably should be. I just like to find something about every movie to say that's nice. And I can say something nice about every movie that I see almost. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know I mentioned, uh, Ghostbusters afterlife earlier, but I, I don't engage with a lot of that stuff anymore after the just horrific reaction to 2016 Ghostbusters, which again, very problematic movie, um, a very different kind of movie than the original Ghostbusters, but that's fine. Like, is that not fine to do something else? Now it's fine. If you want to say that it's something else and it's not good, that I, that's debatable for sure. Um, there are elements of that 2016 Ghostbusters that I think are exceptionally weak. There's a lot of just sort of aimless goofing. And and that is one thing I will say about Ghostbusters is that Ghostbusters is very improvisational. It's obvious that you've, you know, you put Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and, and um, uh, you know, Ernie Hudson in a room. Those guys are going to be funny, uh, no doubt. But Ghostbusters was controlled madness where they knew what they were, were trying to accomplish. Whereas I feel like a lot of, you know, 2016 Ghostbusters was just, Hey man, we just riffing. I saw about 15 minutes of that movie and they were the least 15, the least funny 15 minutes that I've seen of a movie (laughs) in a while. Yeah. There's exceptional dry spells in that movie. But I, you know, I say that to say, I'm still okay with that movie. Like I'm, I'm just not. It has every right hyper to Hyper negative, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm tired of being just angry all the time. Well, I've never really been that, but I, I'm not going to be angry online all the time. Yeah, I'm it not doesn't infuriate that me that that studios <clears throat> are are still trying to squeeze money out of franchises I like. I know how this works. I know that nothing yeah. is sacred. The thing that you like will be remade, and just. 
live with it. And it doesn't do anything to damage, you know, the original thing. Like this movie, this Power Rangers movie being bad does not in any way affect how I feel about the Power Rangers and how I feel about the way I watched it. And that's just how I watch movies. Yeah. And and the fact that this one gets so many things right, or at least so many things are good, uh, I think is, is actually exciting because I think it means that if they are going to try and reboot this again, and it certainly seems like they are, um, I think what that means is that somebody else can learn some lessons from this one and hopefully come out on the other side better for it. Now, whether or not that will happen, who knows? Movie studios are not known for learning the right lessons from failures and success. Like they just don't, they don't internalize the right lessons from those scenarios in most circumstances. Um, Speaking of which, there is a new Home Alone film on Disney Plus. Um, I just watched. I I'm gonna give a a shout out. You know, we're not big enough to do that, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Um, one of my favorite YouTube channels called Hats Off Entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. great little mini documentaries about positive feelings about movies, and he looks at a lot of um films like we do, mostly comedies though you know, things that didn't do very well. And he just released a video about the new Home Alone and my <laughs> God. It's rough. Whoa. Man. Movies like Whoa. that are still being made. Holy shit. They are. That was yes, like direct, direct, direct to, video to video 90s bad. Is real. It is alive and it is called dump it on your streaming service. Whoa. Just churn that shit out, man. And uh, yeah, at Disney Plus, unfortunately, I mean, they've got all that Disney Disney Channel garbage on there to begin with, but a lot of the like original movies that Disney Plus has been doing are just awful, especially the ones aimed at kids. Like they are not good. But this one seems especially egregious, like flawed on on every level, from top to bottom. Uh, which you know, again, just movie studios don't learn the lessons that they're supposed to learn. Um, but I'll enjoy this film for what it is. I'll like my weird little giant uh, Brian Cranston wall and my Bill Hader alpha five and my edgy teenagers who need to learn how to love each other. And I'll be okay with it. Cause it's, it's pretty fun. I had and, a good, and every time, once in a while I'll, I'll trot it out. I had a good time with this in the same way that I had a good time with the Mortal Kombat movie. This is very it's silly. Very equivalent. Very but, equivalent. You have to go in it with that mindset. But if you if you approach it as, as this is just a Power Rangers movie, I'm sorry, it's Mystery Science Theater. It's I should just breathe and just relax. You know? Mm-hmm. Just, just relax. Just chill out. It's just a movie. Don't worry about it. It won't hurt anything. It won't hurt you. It's just Power Rangers. I had a good time. Yeah. Same. All right. Well, I guess we'll we'll wrap it up. Um, so it's a recommend from me, although it is a, a mild recommend. Obviously, if you have no ties to Power Rangers whatsoever, honestly, this might work on you pretty well um, if you're willing to give it its its leash and let it kind of run its run its course. Um, it, it may be okay for you if you have a sort of again, as you said, loose nostalgia for the Power Rangers. There's probably enough here that you can get into it. If you are hardcore Power Rangers, this is gonna love everything you about all. it. 
<laughs> this will likely infuriate you. Um, at least a little bit. Maybe enough that'll happen at the end that you'll be cool with it, but I, I kind of, I doubt it. Um, but it's it's a mild recommend for me for sure. Yeah, same. Cool, cool. All right. Well, um, if somebody wants to look you up on the internet to tell you how wrong you are about Power Rangers 2017 and how Haim Saban is actually Jesus in in you know movie form, uh, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at Twitter uh, at Vascinator, and you know I don't tweet much about the Power Rangers, but I'd love to start. So let's get into it. That's right. I've got some Ivan News tweets stored up that I could probably churn out. I mean, it's, why not? It's I, you know, this movie made me look for Ivan News gifts after I watched it. I was like, that's that's <laughs> what I need more of for my Twitter timeline is gifts of Ivan Ooze. That's right. I, I need some White Ranger, uh, a White Ranger helmet. That's what I need. Come on, Hasbro, make me my White Ranger helmet. Um, uh, in in similar fashion, I can be found at T Baskin on Twitter. Uh, so if you want to get a hold of me there, that's fine. And then, of course, you can get us at FPeace Theater together on Twitter or failurepeace at gmail.com. Um, and uh, we will be back soon enough to discuss another classic film that missed the mark or just quite didn't quite make it and maybe still deserves a bit of time and attention. So we will see you then next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>